All right, this might sound a little bit crazy, but I want you to hear me out for a second, Steve. All right. Is it just me, or is the notion of having a baby actually the greatest marketing scheme ever made? Okay? Think about How it. How so? Because it's like, okay, I want one of these baby things. Well, you get to have sex and to have a, if you're a guy, you get to have an orgasm to have one. It's like That's the best true. thing you can do. That's true. It's the greatest thing of all. And then it makes a baby. Isn't it amazing? You're like, yeah, sign me up, dude. It starts with fucking and then I get the baby. This is awesome. Yeah. And then you start reading that fine print. Right. <laughs> and you don't read the asterisk that says all options extra on baby. Those things don't come preloaded with anything. All the extras, you've got to pay for them. You've got to install them. You've got to teach these babies everything. You even have to write the software. Like, you've got to teach them how to understand the words you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's even more than just installing. You've got to write the software and everything right there. No good, man. That's how they get you. <laughs> Ahoy, dad and lovely <laughs> listeners, and welcome to the brand newest installment of your favorite horror movie podcast in this multiverse and beyond. Why, Ooh. it's once again dead and lovely here with the host with the most. It's me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. And me, your bad buddy, Hollywood Steve. Ooh. Hey, I got a slingshot. Ooh, Let's go bad. break some windows. Oh my God, are you going around the neighborhood giving out arm burns and stuff? Oh yeah. Let's go find some kid to pick on. Uh, knock some books out of his hands and stuff, right? Yeah, let's find let's find a kid who's uh, uh, less fortunate than us and push him down. <laughs> It'll make us feel better. Yeah, exactly. That's how this works, right? <laughs> and we are, of course, here today to be talking about Death Becomes Her. And if you just want to get right on to the movie review portion of the show, well, there's a timestamp in the podcast what? description. Because we're going to be doing some hanging and catching up beforehand because it's been it's been a week and a half since we did a podcast. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so we need to chat it up and just see how each other's doing and see what we've been watching and stuff. Steve, have you been maybe watching a good flick this week? Uh, I've been watching flicks for sure. Uh, I I finished the, the MCU chronological order viewing. Wow, okay. Spider-Man Far From Home. Which okay. absolutely great. I apparently the first time I watched it did not watch the after credit scene. So I've been speculating like a dumbass something that was already confirmed. <laughs> so <laughs> you were tossing me all these suggestions and like, you know, I think that this could be going on and yeah. like I didn't want to break it to you. Yeah, that I was it's like, already, well, well yeah, yeah, that's confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um yeah, so great. Uh I then decided I was going to watch the X-Men movies in chronological order. And do you see my folly already, Ben? Yes, yes, because you decided to watch the X-Men movies. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Most of them are very bad. Very, very bad, Then I threw in chronological order, and there is no chronological order of the X-Men because it is actually, if you include Deadpool, at least four chronologies that all share one thing, and that is Wolverine. Yeah, it's kind of it, huh? <laughs> He's involved in all three series in some way. So wow, uh, it it doesn't work though. I but while watching it, all I could think of was how could you edit this to make it work? 
and you oh, could God. yeah you could it's possible i think you could edit it to make it work it would take some you know some leaps by the viewer they have to understand you know actors change etc but it, it mostly if you cut out some bits and almost all of x-men origins wolverine you can kind of make it work but x-men okay. origins wolverine is terrible it's terrible. That's a fucking, fucking awful terrible. movie. Man. It's the third movie you watch in the chronological order. So ugh, you get to ugh. get it out of the way early. <laughs> yeah, at least there's that, man. Well, let me ask you a few questions about that. So, first of all, is X2 still good? Because I remember that yeah, one X2 being pretty is still good. good. X2 is still good. Yep. Okay, so that's good to know. It's great. I, I still enjoy it. I think it's still a really good X Men movie. X3, uh, The Last Stand is so Ugh. much worse than I remember, and I already so hated it. Like, every line in the movie, not every line, but the majority of the lines in the movie are definitely placeholder lines for, we'll have them say something like this. <laughs> it's like watching Twilight or something. And then they just say the exact, like, the 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 subtext is the text, constantly. <laughs> That's good, right? No, so it good it's terrible. Oh. It's <laughs> terrible. It's like they don't even give us a second to think like, oh, what is he feeling? It's like he's feeling this right now. It's like, oh, okay. Because he's telling you about it. Yeah. These are the feelings <laughs> that are being had currently. These are the implications of this. <laughs> it doesn't have like a super half-ass like Dark Phoenix kind of in a nutshell in it too yeah, yeah there are now two super half past dark phoenix movies because <laughs> i watched dark phoenix and i was gonna ask dude i keep seeing it on the streaming services and i'm like i want to watch this but i really don't want to oh, watch this because i've heard it's bad it's not as bad as you might be expecting but it's also just boring mm, mm, that's not good yeah yeah, it's it's wow. real boring. Also, a couple like if you you're remembering that this is supposed to be the same chronology at the very least, like in some way similar chronology. Uh, there are two people who die in Dark Phoenix that shouldn't be dead if it's the same chronology. But oh shit, that is also kind of explained by Days of Future Past, where basically they. Uh, prevent Mystique from killing Richard Nixon and instead Magneto attempts to kill him. Um, okay, so that, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so maybe any events that happen after that are a completely separate chronology that is not related to the original X-Men trilogy. Well, give me a best and worst of that entire run. Okay, so I've gotten through X-Men The Last Stand, so I, I watched all the, the all four of the like newer ones and the three old ones best i would say is x2 for sure okay yeah yeah mm -hmm. that's the best of those movies though days of future past it i think is still really good and interesting and fun to watch x-men origins wolverine's the worst x-men last wow. stand is right there and x-men first class is uh accepting the stuff with Magneto, uh, Xavier, and Mystique is mostly terrible. It's Ugh. pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Damn, dude. Yeah, there's some good casting there's in there. Some, yeah, there's some good bits to it, but the movie overall is just like, ugh. 
not not worth a watch really <laughs> yeah. wow man yeah so uh i don't recommend it though <laughs> <laughs> overall not yeah. something you recommend anybody try out though i am about to get into a good run though because the next ones are the wolverine which is pretty good and then yeah, deadpool like deadpool 2 and logan so oh logan's awesome yeah man. so i'm not i'm not too bummed about the next four movies <laughs> Right on, man. We've also been continuing our Marvel journey as well. We watched... Yeah, where are you guys at? Dude, we watched Spider-Man Homecoming the other day. Mm-hmm. God, awesome. it's good, man. Still great. I think I yep. hadn't seen it since theaters, and I seriously think it's probably in my top three Marvel movies, period. I really... Uh-huh. That makes sense. ...really love that movie. I think that it's fantastic yeah. and hilarious in all the right ways, but also serious in the right ways. Yeah. And uh, having Batman also known as Birdman, as the Vulture Man. Uh-huh. God damn, what great casting, man. So good. Yeah, so I moved Michael down and watched Doctor so Strange that. again the other day. Oh, yeah. Which is still really good, man. Still enjoyable. I still love the visuals of it. It just I was going to say, just yeah, looks visually, great. it's just amazing, man. Mm-hmm. And Tilda Swinton, come on. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, so that one was a really fun watch. So that's about where we're at right now on those. But in the meantime, I've also had... A little bit of extra time to watch a couple of horror flicks and stuff this week, uh, oh, yeah? including Tenebrae by Dario Argento. Dario Argento. Man, it's not that great, honestly. It's one of those that I'd heard a lot about as one of those like you know legendary Argento flicks that everybody should watch. Eh, a lot of it's just kind of like, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's people acting really weird and some really bright colors and stuff. There's nothing like supernatural yeah. about it. Uh, it of course has a totally off the wall, you know, goblin soundtrack in there, and it does have a kill towards the end of the movie that is utterly spectacular. It's got like one of the best axe kills I've ever seen. And if you're listening to this and you've seen that movie, you know the one I'm talking about because it is just incredibly gratuitous and out of nowhere that's uh, the best part of the movie honestly what is would you rate it uh one to five pizza slices you know it's gonna be is that a new york slice or is that like uh you know like little caesar we're slice? talking a new york slice new york slice yeah Ooh. five new york slices is a lot i'm gonna say this is probably one and a folded over slice okay 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 still pretty substantial honestly yeah, yeah. More pizza i mean hey, you need. sounds great <laughs> yeah, it was it was okay, man. I also watched Satanic Panic. Oh right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one night that I was just kind of working out, and I was like, I need something mindless to put on while I work this year. Elliptical machine, mm-hmm. get my legs moving elliptically, like. Oh man, I remember that uh, '90s raptor elliptical. Yeah, that was him, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted something kind of mindless to put on, so I found that on Shutter, and uh, man. There's parts of the movie that are kind of fun in that same way that, like, The Babysitter is fun, where it's like, this is a newer movie that's not taking itself too seriously. seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, man, the ending is just horrible. The ending completely shits the bed. Like, for Hmm. a lot of the movie, I'd been watching it going like, wow, they really did a good job of doing a lot on a low budget. Yeah. And, like, hiding their effects and, you know, making me ignore the fact that this is a cheap movie. Then it gets to the end, and it's like, oh, yeah, never mind. Never mind. Huh. Ending of it's just fucking awful. Wow, that So, sucks. yeah, don't don't really recommend that one. Uh, I've been watching Night Riders. Oh. The George Romero flick with the okay. knights on motorcycles. Yeah. Man, that is a movie. It is. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I say I've been watching it because, like, the past week I've been doing, you know, 
I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour a day on the elliptical machine, uh-huh. just putting on a movie and stuff. I've done that a couple times this week, and I still have half an hour left of the movie. Wow. It's so long. It's like a two-hour and 40-minute long movie, dude. Wow. Yeah. About guys jousting on motorcycles, <laughs> taking it really seriously. Like, really, really seriously. I'm going to fucking Man. joust you, bro. Yeah. It's got Tom Savini in it just being a complete fucking hunk the whole movie, of course. Of course, yeah. He knows no other way. That's true. Uh, that's just been a fun, silly, very, very stupid watch. We also watched uh, Guns Akimbo. Oh, okay, with uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Yeah. That is a cracked out, fun time, brainless action, comic book video game movie right there. Have you seen this? That sounds awesome. I haven't, but I've heard good things. But what you just said sounds like exactly something I want to watch. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. I mean, yeah, the, the basic premise is like there's kind of an app for this uh, this thing where they, they pit vicious you know killers and stuff against each other and people bet on it and watch it like it's entertainment and stuff like this. Huh, okay. And just like how this would go in real life, it's hilarious because, you know, you've got these, like, trained killers, like, fighting each other the, to the death on this app and you have, like, slob nerds at home being like, oh, oh you should have done this instead, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's really perfectly done in that regard. Okay. It is. It's a blast, and it's also cool, too, because we get old, um, oh, what's her name, from Ready or Not? Uh, oh, uh, Samara Weaving. Samara Weaving in it, yeah. And oh, she really? is I love her. eyebrowless, yeah. stone-cold, scuzzy-ass, cokehead killer in the movie. Awesome. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, and you can tell <laughs> she has a blast being that character. Good. I get the impression with her that, like, she just really loves being in these movies where she gets to be fucking disgusting and be in really yeah. gross, gory scenarios. And I think that makes her even cooler. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That definitely adds uh, plus one to everything she's in. <laughs> that she's just yeah, her, willing her stats to are getting get maxed gross. Out. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> so that was a really fun watch. Again, it's just mindless action, gun porn kind of stuff. But, dude, every now and then you want that. I know I want that. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that sounds right up my alley, so I'm going to have to check that out for sure. And our most recent Monday that we had, we watched Hail Satan? Question mark? Oh, okay. I've heard good things. It was good. Mm-hmm. Like, it really starts off in a place where, like, it is very, like, silly, the way that these, uh, these Satanists have kind of put their group together and the way they present themselves and stuff. Sure. But that kind of lures you in enough to sort of, like, take this with... Um, I think enough seriousness to be like, oh, actually, it is really unfair that they get to put, you know, the Ten Commandments out front yeah. without representing any other religion, which yep. is where the documentary Absolutely. eventually goes. It's a good watch, man. Like, just a fun, entertaining thing. It doesn't get, you know, super, super deep or anything like that, but it was a good watch. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm I'm with them. Hail Satan. Way to go, those <laughs> people. They're, they're awesome. They're constantly fighting for our religious freedoms. So uh, even if... Uh, even if you grew up super Christian and it sounds crazy to support the Church of Satan, you should support them for sure. Yeah. Because they're yeah. doing good I mean, good if you shit. claim to be an American, you should. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they're definitely fighting for religious freedom constantly. Yeah. And I'm just saying, I mean, name the church that doesn't have billions of dollars worth of, you know, child sexual assault allegations going against them. Just name the one. Oh, yes. The Church oh, of Satan. The Church of Satan. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just saying... Yeah, I, I, yeah, they're they're uh, they're a good organization, and I'm glad they're out there doing what they're doing, doing what they're doing. 
Ben, guess what I went and did? What'd you did, Steve? I went and got a, a picture of my dog tattooed on me. Oh, you got god dang old tattoozled, huh? Yeah, my dog on my dang <laughs> arm. Now that is a country strong move right there. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, um, so this Emily and I wanted to do something to celebrate our, our anniversary because uh, we didn't get to go anywhere and do anything. Uh, and so we, we finally decided we we're going to get the same tattoo. And then we tried to set up an appointment with our guy who I went to high school with, who runs Apothic Tattoo in Morristown. Go there. He's awesome. Nathan Hill. Uh, they also have my friend Monty, our friend Monty. Me and Monty. Yeah. Yeah. Also great tattoo artist. So, uh, anyway, we, we tried to schedule with him and he was booked all the way up until August. So <laughs> I, I was able to get in to get the tattoo. She's going to get in in December after the semester's over. So we're going to have uh, similar tattoos of our dog for That's our awesome. 10th anniversary. Oh, and you showed me the picture of it and it's the picture of your dog and it is very, uh, very naughtily urinating on the Chevrolet emblem, right? Yeah, yeah. I wanted something meaningful to me and something that uh -huh. really like said something about our relationship and it, it really hinges on our mutual hatred of Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a yeah. good move. It means mm -hmm. something. Every tattoo should really yeah. mean something to you. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, no, I, I this was something, of course, that uh, in the middle of a pandemic might sound a little crazy, especially for somebody who hasn't done anything throughout the pandemic but sit home. But uh, Nathan at Apothic Tattoo takes this very seriously. Uh, you only get in the tattoo parlor if you have an appointment. He has a laser temperature reader. He sprays you with some uh, some uh, hand sanitizer, sprays your hands. Everybody's wearing masks. I would say, if you're looking for a tattoo in this area, Apothic Tattoo being very safe about it. Hell yeah. That's good to hear, man, because uh, a lot of people aren't. So it's a good thing that they're buckling down and making the right moves, right? I, w I wasn't too worried with Nathan. And then when I got there and he uh, immediately took my temperature, I was like, yes. This is this is the shit I'm here for. Yeah, <laughs> this is what I signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Awesome. And the tattoo looks freaking awesome. You got to be yeah. sure to put up pictures of that on the Instagram. Yeah, I will. And stuff I'm, I'm waiting for badass. it to heal. Uh, it's it's peeling right now, so not right as on. appealing. Hmm. <laughs> oh, who did the design itself? Nathan. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, Nathan's great. I'd love to see what he could do with a Bart Simpson. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, like, a Bart Simpson saying something about the war in Iraq. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. He'd like, be saying peace in the Middle East and, like, probably shooting the bird or something, like, I think. eat my shorts, Hussein. Uh, that sounds pretty appropriate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that sounds That's awesome. That's definitely something I think I've seen on some t-shirts at the <laughs> flea market in yes, 1996. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's badass, man. Well, congrats on your new ank. You got all anked up. I'm all anked up like an octopus. Off. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, huh? That is you, man. You know, Steve, I just find that before I can continue going with the show here, I've got kind of a problem I need to address, and it is the lack of moisture on my palate. It is just Ooh, bone buddy. dry. It's like a desert in here. What do you think we can do about that? Ooh. 
I bet if we were to reach for a tasty beverage, perhaps a beer. A beer? A beer. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy, beer. It just so happens I have one here within the reach of my hand. I do, too. I hope it's the same (laughs) beer that you got. It'd be pretty cool if it was. What do you got? Because I got this ghost town brewing apostasy that is 100% citra hops. I don't know how this happened, but I actually have the exact same beer sitting with me right here. It's meant to be, dude. It's fate. It is. God is good. God is good. (laughs) Let's see what this thing looks like. I'm pouring it out, and it looks a lot like beer. It sure looks juicy. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's a beer-looking beer. It's uh, Mine's like somewhat clear. It's not a super hazy yeah. kind of deal, but it's not crazy clear either, no. kind of middle of the road. Looks like my pee-pee in the morning. It's It smells a little citrusy. Mm. A little citrusy. Uh, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Mm. Yeah, that thing smells real nice at me right here. Oh, man. I can't wait to get a tug on that. What's that do okay. to you? Um, it's a little sweet. But not like Ooh. overly powering. It's more citrusy, like juicy, I would say. Yeah. But it's got some funk on the back end, too. Yeah. A little grapefruity, maybe. Yeah. Grapefruity, wow. yeah. It's kind of odd to find one that is this kind of like sort of sweet up front and that funky yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. It's like the seesaw is going both ways real hard. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. You know what this is? This is like opposite juicy fruit. You know how when you chew Juicy Fruit, <laughs> it has a flavor for like a second? This yeah. ha- this has like max flavor for like max time. It like just sticks in your palate. It's a palate cutter. I mean, I just yeah. had a sip, and that's probably been a good 15 seconds ago, and I can still very clearly taste all of it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. nice. That'll get my mane and tail nice and shiny, I bet you. Good stuff, man. <laughs> Puts a pep in my step. Yeah. Well, you know, Steve, the subject of our show today yeah. is, of course, Deeth Becomes Here. <laughs> that, right? What language is that? Uh, it's, you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and this is a movie that came out in 1990. Uh, 1992. Right? Yeah, that's what I said. I don't know why you feel the need to repeat everything I say, but yes, 1992, as I said. And this is a movie that we are fixing to get ourselves a big-time Hollywood remake of, right? Uh, well, there are rumors of it, and there was a there's supposedly mm. a, a, a ca- supposed casting list that came out. Well, yeah, I saw this the other day, and I got kind of excited because I was like, I can actually back almost everybody here for the recast. But then hmm. you told me just a second ago that that's just been a rumor. Yeah, yeah, the the cast is just a rumor as well as the remake, just a rumor, uh, but, you know, people love to run with rumors. As far as how credible this rumor is, it comes from a Facebook post from somebody in no way related to so the extremely, film. So extremely, extremely. Not a very reliable rumor, no. Dude, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're actually not allowed to post false stuff on facebook like they do a check and you can't lie or post false information so that makes a lot of sense that's yeah it makes sense that makes a lot of sense that's why i run my life in such a way that whatever i see on facebook i believe to be true 
Yeah, exactly right. As long as it's something that I believe. Yeah, if I see a second thing that is not the thing I saw the first time, I get mad at the second thing for not being the first thing I saw. Yeah, and not being the thing that I think it should be. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it works. And that's how facts are born. <laughs> yep, thus fact. <laughs> so, Steve, I say before we get into the movie review ski, I say we just take a little little detour over here to Preview Palace. Hey, come on over here, guys. Over this here? is totally oh, safe. Don't okay, worry good. Good at all. I'm all right. a stranger luring you into a van. You'll be you really happy with the results. Oh, boy, where are you going to take us to? Welcome to the Preview Palace. Oh boy, we're here. We're and my dick's here. out. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we've got to go. <laughs> and Steve, I say while we're here in this preview palace, you know, I'm pretty happy with uh, with this concept. Yeah, of these you, people like, that would you be like cast the cast. Here, so let's talk about that cast then. I think you've got some second opinions. Maybe you got something else you want to offer up as some alternatives. How yeah. about we just go ahead and let's kick this off with our main male role here. Of course, in the original, we got one B-Dub. I hope everybody calls him B-Dub. I think you'd like that, don't you? B-Dub, Bruce Willis? Uh, yeah, Bruce Willis seems like a guy who loves to joke around about his name and stuff. Yeah. I think so, yeah. right? He seems like mm -hmm. he'd be pretty okay with that. So yeah. instead of B-Dub, <laughs> people have uh, proposed that perhaps a... Bob Downey Jr. RDJ, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> RDJ, RDJ and B Dub. RDJ and B Dub. <laughs> We're cool. <laughs> I should talk immediately about my my major problem with the casting, and that is that in the original casting, all are uh, both of the main women are over forty, and Bruce Willis is under forty. Yeah. Uh huh. In this recast, the male character is older than all of them, older than the second oldest by 14 years. So it just doesn't make sense to me. That's just a bad cast. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Yeah, like I know that I know that Robert Downey Jr. could play it really well. I would love to see him get to do something fun and goofy and like nerdy and kind of doofy, like what yeah. Bruce Willis was in this movie, but. That is also the thing that stuck out to me. I was like, man, seems like in the original they're all about the same age. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. He could play it. I will be super, yeah, and I'll be super stoked to look as young as he does when I'm that age. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, he still is a younger-looking guy for, for being somebody of his of his age. But, yeah, at the same time, it's like, isn't there enough age offset between men and women in Hollywood anyway? Right. And isn't that also just kind of like... I don't know, which we'll talk about this when we get to the movie review itself, but like there's such an age stigma with like women no longer being hot after a certain age in well, Hollywood. Yeah, anyway. the theme of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now you're wanting to just kind of like further prove this by putting a guy that's well into his fifties and he's yeah. still a fucking hunk, but he gets to, you know, hook up with two different younger women. Like that yeah. just seems like that's Yeah, that uh, completely misses the point. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a few options for each of these. So I've got a few okay, options. The Rock, obviously, for this, <laughs> of course, The Rock. Duh. Obviously, number one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they made that sort of die-hard ripoff with The Rock. So now you make the Death Becomes Her. <laughs> yeah, he just plays every Bruce Willis role. Yeah, can't wait for Hudson Hawk, Hudson Rock, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so I, I, I thought of a few people, and 
I need you all to remember, Bruce Willis is not some unknown name in 1992. This is John McClane. He's already done Die yeah. Hard and Die Hard 2. So we're not looking for unknown names to play this role. So I immediately think who can be dorky and still cute? Ryan Reynolds. Oh, Ryan Reynolds in there, huh? Now, Ryan Reynolds is a possibility, but then I thought deeper and I thought Chris Evans because Chris, Chris Evans. Evans. Yeah, actually, that could work. Uh, he has that Bruce Willis like quality to him where he can be He's a masculine really, looking guy. Yeah, really masculine looking, really stoic, but he can also be a dork. Yeah, that would work actually. And again, his his age is a little bit more what well, probably. Yeah, like he's thirty nine. He's like thirty nine, so he's closer to what wow. Bruce Willis was around this time. Uh, and then uh, that could work. A, another option, just in case Chris Evans falls through, maybe he's got something else going on. Uh, I think Jake Gyllenhaal could do it. Jake Gyllenhaal, I could probably see that happening as well. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought about that, unless, except that I just recently watched Far From Home. And it was a reminder that Jake Gyllenhaal can do comedy really well because, like, things like Nightcrawler and, uh, uh, oh, man, what was that one where Hugh Jackman took that, that dude hostage because he thought oh, he Oh, God, Prisoners. Prisoners. Oh, that's Holy brutal. Holy hell. Anyway, that Jake is Gyllenhaal is, like, movie. so good and intense in those that, like, I wouldn't have thought of that except that he was, like, he's goofy and far from home. And it's like, oh, right, Jake Gyllenhaal can be goofy. Yeah, that could. I think that could work too. And then you know you kind of like nerd him up a little bit too. Right, so yeah. that, that's the funnest scene. Bruce Willis in this is like he's a really handsome guy, but he just doesn't know how to style himself at all in this yeah. movie. So he just looks like a, a dork. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so okay, that, I'm on board with that. Those are the those are the possible men. Now, all our, right, all right. our other secondary character is of course Isabella Rossellini. Yes, yes. And in the uh, the remake, rumor is is Lady Gaga, which I think is. Pretty cool casting, actually. Lady Gaga, yeah. She's got this witchy woman. Ooh, That's not terrible. About her. That's not terrible. Yeah, it's not bad, actually. For sure. And I, yeah, I think she's got that mystical thing about her, and she could definitely... Like, she looks different in every role. She she has, like, a, a face for uh for changing. Like, she, she's really yeah, able yeah. to just... Master of disguise. Morph into... Yeah. So, yeah, I think she could do it. I, I, I probably have less of a problem with this casting than any of the others but i was thinking of who could do it that is much like isabella rossellini at the time uh almost 40 who could do it who's who's older and mm, okay. so i thought of two immediately uh the first was some hayek oh lord yeah is age-defying gorgeous so, I was going to say, I think she's well over 40. Yeah, she's 53. <laughs> Good God, yes. what? Uh, and the second I thought of, Sofia Vergara, who is also Ooh, almost 50. That's insane. They're both age-defyingly beautiful, which is what the, the character's supposed to be. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that, that kind of makes it even cooler. Yeah, also what Isabella Rossellini is kind of going for. I mean, the joke they make is that uh, she says that she looks 38, and Isabella Rossellini is actually 39 when they were filming it. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> she was close. <laughs> uh, I like and, that. Yeah, I, so I, I think I think either of them could work perfectly well. And they bring that Isabella Rossellini, like, a slight accent. Totally, yeah. That that adds that little bit of mystique to it. I like that. You could also throw in a, a Catherine Zeta in there, too, probably, huh? Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah I didn't even think of it, but yes. 
Oh, man. Any of those would work. That's a good idea. Yeah, and I like, too, like you said, you kind of, because of the accent and stuff like that, you do yeah. get a little bit more of a exotic kind of flair. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So the main two, the way they were cast, we got Anne Hathaway for Meryl Streep yeah. and Kate Hudson for Goldie Hawn. Now, yeah. Anne Hathaway, okay. Bye. I'll take it. I'll take Anne Hathaway. Yeah, she's a little too young, I think, to be playing the too old. Yeah, she's a little too young and still just absolutely drop dead gorgeous to be playing someone who's trying yeah. to stay young and drop dead gorgeous, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a little just off. But but I think she could play the snooty movie star Hollywood elite. Oh, thing for sure. Very well. She, oh yeah, she could do all that, and she in a lot of ways is 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 uh, uh I think properly compared to Meryl Streep. Yeah, great actress too. Yes, and, and but she she does something I think that Meryl Streep does less, and she and that is she's she's able to get goofy. Um, True, uh, and that, that has nothing to do with this movie. I'm just th- thinking about how good Anne Hathaway is and how weird it is that people just don't like her for some reason. I know, right? Yeah, but I I came up with a few names here that I thought would work that I think they're older and and would fit better. I'm going to save the one I think is best for, for last, though. Uh, okay. I think Angelina Jolie could definitely step in here. Oh, man. She totally. Can, we yeah. know she can play that sort of cruel role and, and stuff like that, and she has that. Do you need somebody who can pull off that like pseudo Cruella DeVille kind of vibe yeah. like Meryl Streep does? Yeah. Uh, and then I thought of Viola Davis, who is oh. absolutely amazing. Uh, she's 55 also another problem she still looks amazing yeah they don't have wrinkles going or anything no i i didn't want to say this name too much because i think we say it almost every episode but tony collette <laughs> tony yeah, collette would course. be perfect put her in any movie <laughs> yeah. it's just gonna be fucking awesome yeah tony collette would be perfect in this role so that's who i think is perfect but then there are a lot of actresses in their 40s and 50s that could play these roles so it's weird to pick Anne hathaway and kate hudson though kate hudson is 41 here's the thing about kate hudson yeah let's talk about the thing about kate hudson (laughs) yeah okay and this is something that that kate and i were talking about whenever we saw that you know rumored cast listing and stuff like that and i was like i think it's okay and you know i was like oh you know whatever it's fun it's goldie hahn's daughter so it makes sense for one that's just pure nepotism because yes as kate pointed out like Name a good Kate Hudson movie, period. Like, okay, she was in Almost Famous, but she's not a main character or anything like that. I looked through her, like, filmography on IMDb. For one, she's one of those actresses that seems like she's been around forever, but she's been in, like, 30-something movies. She's not been in that many movies, and they're all garbage, dude. Like, I know know some people like Skeleton Key, but I've never seen it. So uh, I don't know about that one. Well, we should do it sometime. I I yeah. think there's a bit to talk about with that movie. It's not the greatest, but it's it's there are elements to it that are good. But like other than nepotism, why should she do it? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, and th- this is, uh, I mean, I, we'll go ahead and talk about it now. Uh, Goldie Hawn like built her career. Uh, she she comes from non actor parents. Uh, Kate Hudson has two actor parents. Like, yeah. She had a career built in if she wanted to take it. Goldie Born Hawn, on third base, as you say. Yeah. Goldie Hawn uh, built herself comedically. She 
like she was on laughing like she earned a, a, a academy award in 1969 like she built up her career yeah uh, so when we see her in this it's like yeah she's like this badass who's built herself to this element like of course i want to see her get her like a revenge or whatever Kate Hudson is just like, well, yeah, it's another Kate Hudson movie. <laughs> like, yeah, what am I supposed to get out of this? Sure. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I thought of a few names. Uh, Charlize Theron, who I think could also okay. work in the the other role, but I think she's also just comedically great. And the Goldie Hawn role in this is just so funny. Not that Meryl Dude. Streep's not funny. Meryl Streep's hilarious. In but this. the thing about about Charlize Theron too is like, just like Meryl Streep. She looks like a movie star. She's one of those people that if you ran into her like in real life, you'd be like, you're not a normal person. You're right. a movie star. She has that glamorous look about her. But yeah. also at the same time, she's she's probably 40-something now, I, I would guess, right? Yeah, she's 45. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. still just absolutely gorgeous, man. So, yeah, I think she could do this well, and she plays funny well, too. She does, and she's, you know, she's very happy to just ugly herself up for a role. So to, like put on the fat suit and just be sitting there eating uh cake icing straight out of yeah. the tin like <laughs> she would probably embrace that absolutely totally yeah uh then i also thought of amy adams that could work who i think could fit in she she is funny uh can be funny but i think the best possible option is rachel mcadams rachel mcadams yes rachel what mcadams do you think about that she's very funny maybe she is also a great actress, and she's forty-one, so she she's in the range. See, I think of her as being like like younger than that, but like I think of her as like being our age, you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, I she is, she though, is actually kind older. of our age. She's not that far away. <laughs> hey, speak for yourself, yeah. old man. I'm a spry thirty-six. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that Charlie's Throne is probably my favorite choice right there. That yeah. would totally work. I think yeah, I think there are a lot of people who could probably fit in there though. I mean, it's oh man, like uh, what if you put in Natasha Leone? That would be awesome. I love her. Yeah, I could see yeah, her doing awesome. it. She's she's forty something, so yeah, wow, that'd be cool. That's cool, man. Uh, yeah, but you know, really, it's like if if that rumored ca- rumored cast list gets uh, put out there and that is what they're going with, it'll be fine. But I like your sure. suggestion, Steve. I think you got yeah. some good ones there. Yeah, I'd still. I mean, I'd still. I'd still give it a watch, but I can't. I just can't imagine it being as good as this one because I, I know. love this movie. I have a hard time with that. Yeah. I have a hard time thinking that they will go as hard into the dark humor yeah. and gothic vibe that this movie has in the remake and stuff. Uh, yeah. I hope that I'm wrong, but uh, I don't know. This movie, I think, just really nailed the tone that, that I wanted out of it. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is like whenever it came out, this is one of those movies that I remember seeing commercials for i remember seeing advertisements for in comic books with you know goldie hawn with yeah. the hole mm-hmm. through her stomach and stuff like this like yeah it was kind of everywhere and i remember people talking about it but it kind of just barely went over breaking even at the box office it wasn't really a huge hit not a huge hit but uh it was, i mean it was number one at the box office its first week so it, it you know it was the the advertising campaign worked at least and the people that mm-hmm. did go see it uh, liked it, I think. I think as far as uh, the people I've talked to. Now, critics weren't as happy about it, but most no. people I know who uh, kind of saw this movie back in the 90s love this movie. It's uh, it's kind of like one of those like clue that critics weren't 
all four, but it, it really did hit audiences just right. Like it was just silly it seems enough to be, that way. To be yeah. the type of thing that people like, but it, it didn't, yeah, it didn't draw out massive audiences or anything. Yeah. Now the first time that I watched this movie was, I mean, years and years ago, yeah. like probably, probably at least 10 or 15 years ago was when I saw this movie for the first time. Yeah. And I remember going into it like expecting things like, yeah, her head's going to be on backwards and stuff like this. But <laughs> I remember watching it back in the day and just being like, man, this this movie is weird. This isn't really is. like what I was expecting in a lot of ways. So like I don't remember necessarily loving it or hating it, just kind of filing it away as strange movie. And that's about it. And uh, so, you know, going into it and watching it again for the first time in forever last night, I had no idea what to expect. Like, again, I remember yeah. the special effects shots, but I couldn't tell you what the story was about or anything like that. Like, I had forgotten that, that B-Dub was in it at all. Wow. So okay. whenever the movie kicks off and it's like the cast list and everything, I was like, oh, shit, all these people are in this movie in 19, what'd you say, 92? 92, yeah. Golly, man. I was like, holy shit, this movie's a bigger production than yeah. I think that uh, I remembered it being. So I was essentially watching it for the first time last night so this is all very fresh and very new to me when was the first time that you watched it uh whenever it came out on video back in the day i uh yeah this is exactly the type of movie that my sister and i would rent uh this was a year after adam's family this is around the same time as like beetlejuice and stuff like that so like mm -hmm. all any any of these types of movies that were like dark comedies or horror comedies like this it's like that was immediate for me i wanted to see it the poster made me want to see it seeing it in the back of comic books made me want to see it and it had bruce willis yep. who I, I loved and goldie hahn who i loved because goldie hahn movies like even though you look back on them and see the reviews of them and see how they did at the box office a lot of goldie hahn movies in the 80s and 90s just didn't hit in the theater so many of us saw them on tv on cable yeah growing up that Goldie Hawn like to kids was like oh she's a huge huge movie star and she was it's just that you know a lot of the movies weren't making the big bucks uh so to me like yeah seeing Goldie Hawn was in it like I want to see that uh and as soon as it came out on, on video I remember renting it and watching it and loving it just thinking it was hilarious I wonder now, what was going on in the world that, like, right around this same time period, like, all the movies you just right. named off, Beetlejuice, Adam's yeah. Family, this, like, what was going on that we had all these, like, super dark, gothic comedies well, some coming it, out? Some of it was the uh, normalization of just talking about uh, graphic, gruesome things throughout the late 70s and early 80s on the news. Uh, also, Satanic Panic put a lot of very fresh, vivid, mm. shocking mm -hmm. images in people's minds. It was... Okay. And then, uh, of course, the fact that, uh, you know, we were starting to watch war on television. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. actual death and dismemberment yeah. being yeah. what we watch on TV. I mean, yeah, yeah true. people under the stairs is around this time. 91, I think, was people under the stairs. So, like, yeah, like, the that, like the comedic plus horror elements being thrown together around this time I, I think a lot of it did have to do with just how much like uh you would just be watching a normal everyday sitcom and then the news comes on and you're hearing about terrible murders uh, and that's just the normal flow of things so yeah 
yeah, I think a lot of filmmakers around the time were kind of, kind of dealing with that, satirizing it. Maybe, uh, I mean, you know, uh, movies like Terror Vision, which came out uh, a few years before this, which reminds yeah. me of Society, which this movie also reminds me of. Terror Vision so. was really about, like, you know, how cable is taking over our lives, though it's ridiculous, uh, and about how aliens are using cable to take over our lives, but <laughs> still, like, it's the type of thing that people were thinking about around that time. Yeah, so when you look at it that way, it's like, well, how could this have yeah. not been <laughs> yeah, what's could, happening in movies, right? right? Yeah. That makes yeah. sense, man. That makes sense. Yeah, so the, the darkness in this is is there the whole time. It never, it never lightens up, but it's never... Mm-hmm it's never not funny either like the movie just remains silly and funny the whole time it rides that fine line where it's like yeah it is extremely dark and morbid and fucked up in a lot of ways but there is enough levity and cartoonish physicality Mm -hmm. in the movie to where it it does distract you very much like the adams family in that way we're like a lot of the stuff in the adams family is fucking morbid yes but it is all kind of surrounded by this almost gleeful cartoonish comedy that offsets it right yeah yeah i think that uh yeah this is this is dealing with that sort of stuff and it's also in a vein of this i I don't know if you can call it maybe an outright obsession like we had with australia in the late 80s but there is a, (laughs) a seeming obsession with beverly hills throughout the yeah, 80s. Yeah, that was one of those things, man, that like I just very specifically remember always yeah. hearing about in TV shows and cartoons and Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Like Beverly Hills was like the center of uh entertainment culture yeah. when we were kids, right? Yeah, and I think I think OJ actually is kind of the end of that because it happened in Brentwood and it kind of it kind of kind of made them stop wanting to cast a big light on the rich areas of LA, but <laughs> yeah. there there was this just this period of time yeah where like you know beverly hills cop uh shampoo which uh goldie hawn herself was in is was based in beverly hills down and out in beverly hills 1986 troop beverly hills troop beverly hills yeah. i'd say awesome. beverly hills cop of course yeah uh beverly hills madam came out in 1986 also like and then also the as i said terror vision and society which both were sort of satirizing the weird and disgusting lives of the rich and famous in Beverly Hills. So th- this movie is like right in that vein. Um, and, and really does like, I think it's probably like, it's probably like the final word on that. Cause I, I didn't really find many movies after that, that I would say fit into it, but it's kind of like this mm-hmm. movie was like all of that sort of satire and stuff all rolled into one so we get the absurdity we get the body horror we get like uh you know just the, the aloofness of the rich like even in the the face of like somebody with a hole in the middle of their body like they just kind of <laughs> shrug it off like well it's not me like uh so i i think that yeah this movie is really just very typical of 1992 it, it is exactly how people were kind of feeling which is maybe why the critics because like a lot of the criticism was that the satire doesn't feel like it does anything like mm, it really like, yeah and i think maybe it was just too close where it's like i was gonna say yeah yeah now we look back on it and we really go like oh yeah yeah that's 1992 but in 1992 it's like uh, yeah right i know we know this <laughs> but like yeah yeah it's important because now we look back on it it's like oh okay so this is 
really what people were struggling with around that time, or specifically what rich white people were struggling with around that time. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like after, you know, a couple decades worth of of scoping out on that scene and that obsession with that area and that time period and stuff, to go back and watch a movie like this where it's all these people obsessed with staying young and staying beautiful and just fighting over what each other have and all this kind of stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, no, this, this is kind of exactly what I would think makes sense when, you know, all that we were shown of this area, you know, on the East Coast, like we are, as kids was, you know, fucking bodybuilders on the beach and, like, people getting plastic surgery and nose jobs and being beautiful and blah, blah, blah. It's like, at its core, it is all this obsessive vanity, toxic bullshit that this movie portrays. You know what? Honestly, uh, though the remake rumors are literally just terrible terrible uh, a, a facebook post that has nothing to do with it <laughs> if there were to be a remake the way to do it is to shoot it as a reality show that would make sense like yeah, yeah this would be, yeah it'd just be basically keeping up with the kardashians but the the humor being that at no point does the reality crew step in while they're like killing each other and shooting each yeah. other and, yeah like Dude, no doubt. Actually, I was kind of thinking about that with the remake. I was like, I wonder if you could modernize this in any way or yeah, just keep it you, you know, straight down the pike as it is. But that that would make sense, actually. Yeah, you could do that. Or like you a could uh, make a housewives kind of thing. Right, yeah. Or you, yeah. And that would probably be the best way to do it because you're talking about over 40s. But if you were to do it, say, in 10 years, it could be about YouTube personalities. Like, it, right. Yeah, this, this is something I think that it fits current times more readily than it may have even fit in 1992 like this people have become more obsessed with youth like the fact that somebody thought of recasting this and recast it with people younger like yeah like they couldn't <laughs> even imagine the, the someone in their 40s for- yeah exactly someone in their 40s playing that role impossible impossible yeah, yeah they'd be mummies they'd be corpses <laughs> so yeah like i yeah this hasn't changed it's only gotten worse and more vain and more like you know because we all exist on the internet we all have some sort of like persona that we're projecting on the internet so we're yeah. all way more obsessed with it than we were 30 years ago oh i'd say that we're all definitely way more image obsessed than we used to yeah. be i mean this is such a such a visual age that we're in. I mean, mm-hmm. that, you know, everything is presented with a visual, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's one of those things that, like, every time that you go on your on your phone and go to Instagram or whatever, all you're looking at is, like, beautiful people with amazing bodies yeah. and they've got filters over them that make them look and younger. Th- and thank you all for doing that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think about that sometimes and I think, like, man, the people that have great bodies, I'm really glad they share them with us. <laughs> It's really yeah. cool of them to do that because thanks for that. It's really nice to look at. Sure. Yeah. You did it. You did it. Thanks. <laughs> but considering this is such a image obsessed age that we live in, I think that a remake of this actually makes perfect sense sure. and also yeah. shows that you know just the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it it, it absolutely would work. So, yeah, if anybody out there wants to get that remake going, haul at us. We'll, uh, we got some ideas. We got some ideas. I think we already gave them to you just now. Uh, yeah, trademark Dead Lovely. Away, trademark Dead Lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course, you know, this movie is directed by, you know, just kind of a kind of a one-off yeah. sort of amateur director, Sky somebody that didn't do much. I don't know if I've seen any of his other flicks no. or anything, but Rob, Rob Bobby Bob Robert uh, Zaman. 
Zemanski. It's Zemanski. Zemanski. Yeah. Zemanski. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's his name. <laughs> so yeah, little Robert Zemeckis uh, came in and made this movie, dude. Look at his IMDb from 1979 to about 1995. Yeah, this, you've seen all the movies. You've, you've seen, seen all, all of, of his movies. Uh, yeah, he's one he, of those names though that's weird though, where it's like if you drop Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg or James Cameron, like everybody knows who that is. But right, but there's Zemeckis plenty is, of people yeah. that I know that yeah, if you mention the name of Robert Zemeckis, they'll be like, "Who's that?" Yeah, and you're like, "Oh, you've seen." all of his fucking movies oh yeah no i've definitely heard people say that spielberg directed back to the future and stuff like right it's like totally "Mm, man no and Uh, it's like dude meanwhile you could wallpaper your fucking house with zemeckis's pedigree yeah 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 um at this point romancing the stone uh back to the future one through three and who framed roger rabbit so wow pretty, pretty big stuff you can also see how he is in some ways as I said when we did What Lies Beneath, he's he's a lot like James Cameron in that he like he's really trying to advance the technology of like, you know, computer graphics and stuff. Just looking yeah. at, you know, Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where we have an animated world and a real life person in it. Like he he really has really leaned into cgi movie so, magic man yeah so yeah he's and he's responsible for things like that christmas carol movie that's off-putting and that beowulf <laughs> movie that's off-putting and ugh, all ugh. those movies that are off-putting <laughs> <laughs> way to go bobby yeah but without the that's the thing though is that like in a lot of ways these are tests like like this movie is made by ILM, but in a lot of ways they were testing stuff that they were doing for the movie that came out next for them, Jurassic Park. Kind of a big deal. You might have heard of yeah. that. One. Hell, you might have heard a review of that one on this award deserving podcast. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. For sure. So Hashtag ouch my dino head. <laughs> so yeah, Zemeckis is, is awesome and, and uh he he definitely uh, seems invested in continuing to make CGI stuff that gets better and better or more more human, but also that means he's always on the cutting edge, so sometimes it doesn't look good when you look back on it. This movie, a bit different than that, I would say, still looks pretty great when you look back on it. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And probably because they were more limited and they were like, well, we'll have to do that practical. We can't yeah. quite do that yet, yeah. you know? Yeah, uh, but yeah, so. still totally holds up, you know. Yeah, and this movie, like the the direction and the vibe of this movie is really unique. Like I was saying mm-hmm. earlier, it has that gothic sure. darkness to it, but it has comedic elements too. I think it's a really, really well shot movie. I think that the way that they frame a lot of the scenes and stuff is exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, and uh, dude, there's so many parts in this where I almost started feeling like, am I maybe watching a Tim Burton movie? Could Tim Burton have like directed this? Because it does have a Burtony quality to it. It does, yeah. And I think I think you know they're probably going for a little bit of that Burton success because uh, you know Batman had been a success just a little bit before this, and Edward Scissorhands and stuff. So yeah, and uh, Beetlejuice wasn't that ninety, so yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. They were going after some of that, and also Adam's Family was the year before this, so. Yeah, that that aesthetic was popular around this time, and I, yeah, yeah, I think it is all coming from Tim Burton's early success. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie, like I said, I think it just looks and feels 
fantastic. Yeah. So, props to Bobby Zed. <laughs> yeah, way to go, Bobby oh, Zed. Oh, Bobby uh, Zed. This is written by Martin Donovan and David Kep or Coep, as I've heard some people say. I'm pretty mm, sure. Like I know who the fuck they yeah. are, Steve. Who well, the fuck is that? Well, uh, I mean, Martin Donovan, you might not know. Uh, he, he mostly public, like very uh, prolific TV writer, but you might not know okay. him by name. But David Kep also wrote a few movies you may have heard of. And I'm going to omit two uh, just to bring them around and really, really make your dick fly off. Uh, oh, oh! I better tape this <laughs> thing down real quick here. Yeah, so he wrote Carlito's Way. He wrote Mission Impossible. Awesome movie. Both okay, good awesome. movies. Uh, also, Stir of Echoes, a movie we will eventually do. I enjoy that Totally. Movie. Also, yeah. the uh, he wrote Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. Uh, oh, okay. All has right. recently written the Kevin Bacon horror movie that I've heard a lot of good stuff about, You Should Have Left. So I don't know that one. He, he's, got, he's got a pretty good pedigree, but Ben... Let me just name two movies. You ready for this? He Hang also on, let, me, let me finish strapping this thing down here. I'm having to use a lot of tape to get the thing <laughs> taped down to the inside of my leg. Hang on now. He also has writing credit. All right, credit. that's it. <laughs> he also has writing credit on Jurassic Park. Oh, oh man. The Shadow. No way. You love you The Shadow. You know how much I love The Shadow. Know, that's why I saved it for last. <laughs> Dude, one year as a birthday wildcard yeah, pick, we gotta I, do I'm the totally going to pull the shadow, dude. <laughs> yeah. Largo Lane. Oh, yeah. my God, the shadow. Okay, so I love this guy is you what do, you're saying. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if you look at his IMDb, yeah, he's got a ton of stuff in there that uh, he, he's definitely been. But this this is one where it's early in his career and, like, basically... Uh, I read an interview with him, and he, he was like, yeah, basically, uh, we were starving, and we thought of this idea, and we thought it would probably be a small little indie movie with, like, a $5 million budget, and then it turned into this, so... <laughs> and then 50 more million dollars yeah. got added onto it. <laughs> so, wow, man. Yeah. That's cool. And this was originally conceived, apparently, as a continuation of Zemeckis's work on the... Is it Tales from the Dark Tales Side? Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt series. Well, yeah. it was originally. What the hell? I had no idea. Yeah, originally supposed to be in the vein of the Tales from the Crypt 1972 anthology movie. So this would have been mm-hmm. basically like another type of story in that vein, but a feature length movie. But also, while, uh, you know, getting involved with this, he was also involved in producing Tales from the Crypt. So right. a lot of people, I, I am included in this, a lot of people, a lot of people look at this and see basically a feature length uh, Tales from the Crypt episode because it feels so oh. much like it because most Tales from the Crypt episodes always keep an edge of humor. They, they're, I mean, Zemeckis was involved in producing and directing some episodes of, of Tales from the Crypt. I would say a lot of episodes kind of have a f- very similar visual feel to them so like watching this feels very much like the crypt keeper is gonna pop up at the end and be like good fright kitties or whatever you know (laughs) yeah because there's so many like big spooky mansions on hills and like lightning through window sills Mm -hmm. and shit like that like once i learned that it was kind of conceived as being part of that world i was like Oh, this makes perfect sense now. Part of that world. Aww. (laughs) 
Yeah, so that was kind of a wild card for me, but again, it, it makes sense. But also, too, if it would have been marketed as such, mm -hmm. it would have made millions less dollars and probably yeah. would have attracted less of a huge mungus cast. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, you know? I mean, well, I don't know, though. Meryl Streep uh, said that she was won over by the movie. Like, she thought it would be a fun little movie to do. So if Meryl Streep was won over by it, I can't I can't imagine it would be hard to convince anybody else <laughs> dude and that's cool too that she wanted to do this because like yeah. i would just think of meryl streep as like everybody's mom's favorite actress you know well yeah looking at her imdb you can see why you might think that because it's like uh, a lot of titles that maybe growing up that you maybe heard your mom or your aunts adults talking about but they they weren't exactly child accessible yeah <laughs> they're like because she picks meaty roles she doesn't want small little things so this is probably my first real like uh meryl streep movie as a kid now that i think of mm. it like yeah. I, I can't think of anything she was in that i probably would have watched so yeah same yeah so i you know i've seen a, a lot of her movies now but the, at this time this would have been the first real uh goofy movie she did so yeah, yeah is this the only time we're gonna get to talk about her on the show has she been I anything think else horror so related? i don't think she's done anything else horror related she did say that she would never do anything involving a ton of makeup effects again she said it felt really? like going to the dentist yeah oh yeah uh. well i can i can get it from her perspective as an actress who's really really trying to get into the role and then you're also sitting in there doing makeup and you have to worry about how the makeup looks more than how you you're embodying the role like it's it's just not sure. her type of thing well and it probably restricts you from performing in right. certain ways exactly. and stuff yeah. like that too you have to act around the prosthetics yeah. and the makeup and stuff like that. So, okay, that that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I understand, but yeah, yeah, we we probably won't be seeing her again unless we do some wild ass wild card like <laughs> the River Wild. <laughs> oh, which is one so Ben has suggested be as a again. wild card before. <laughs> Dude, I've talked about the fucking River Wild since we started this fucking show. So you know, yeah. you know, she's coming back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think she does in this? Because I think that she totally embodies this, like, you know, totally stuck up, self obsessed, starlet, phony as shit. Yeah. Obsessed with staying relevant, being jealous kind of, kind she's, of person. She is so well. Great. She does an amazing job. And, like, uh, you know, because she, she says her absurd lines in a way that makes them absurd instead of in a way like with a knowing wink where it's like oh haha she's funny it's like oh no that's what she would say like yeah <laughs> it's insane it's so funny because she's really embodying this terrible person <laughs> yeah well it almost seems like very self-referential -re and self-deprecating in yeah. a lot of ways too for her mm -hmm. to be this oh yeah hollywood you know wannabe starlet that is obsessed with you know keeping her her young appearance and yeah. stuff like this, so she can stay relevant and important. Like that almost seems like a Meryl Streep joke about Meryl Streep. Yeah, which would be so far off target too, because to think somebody in 1992 would be like, "Oh, Meryl Streep, she's on her way out." Yeah, <laughs> here we are in 2020. <laughs> it's like, no, she's not. She is nowhere no. near her way out. 
Yeah, she has like a Scrooge McDuck fucking swimming pool full of Oscars <laughs> yeah. that she does laps in every day. She's I don't had, think she was on her way out in the early 90s. Think about this. 21 Oscar nominations, 17 of them for Best Actress. That's, that's like being up for league MVP 17 times. and It's <laughs> insane. Like, what? The other four for best supporting actors. She doesn't have any of those like best uh, like cast ensemble or whatever. Like all of them are specifically she's great. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's pretty obvious. People people think uh, she knows what she's doing. Goldie Hawn, however, not as many award nominations. Yeah, Don't, not as many accolades or anything. Yeah. But I I think that she's so awesome in that she is this you know obviously gorgeous. Uh, blonde, just kind of bombshell chick that that plays dumb and ditzy a lot. That yeah. is totally not, and no. just uses that appearance to her advantage. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think she's awesome. I mean, she started out on laughing, playing dumb and ditzy, like in a bikini yeah. with paint on, you know, making just silly jokes. But she is by far not that. She knows what she's doing. She's a very intelligent woman who's gotten herself where she is. So. Uh, she this role kind of works perfectly for her, where she is playing that pretend uh, like you know ditz, but she's really got this plan for revenge. Oh yeah, and it's so fun too that you know somebody that is known for being as gorgeous and stuff as she is puts herself into all these roles in this movie. Like at, at the first, whenever we see her at the play, she is like totally not made up, like kind of mousy brown yeah. hair, very mm. downplayed. And then of course we get to see her like in the aftermath after Meryl Streep steals her man where she's like in a fat suit and her like (laughs) cat lady apartment eating icing out of a tub and stuff. That is is a mood that a lot of us have been in recently, I think. Where it's just like, fuck it. I'm just going to eat, sit on this couch. I don't give a fuck. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So... I love I love that I love how she's just watching the woman she hates die in a movie over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, specifically that death scene, just rewinding it so she can see it again and again. Dude, she plays like this crazy stalker obsessed with murdering her person. Like it's easy to forget because so much of the movie you see her public persona where right. she is out and out putting on a normal face, but then when she goes home, she's got like the crazy psycho obsessive yes. mirror with all the pictures of her uh-huh. like murder and death and all this shit all over it it is uh it's crazy yeah the level of obsession is crazy but i think we got to we got to realize that this movie sets up a a relationship that they've had ahead of time where this has continually happened that yeah. uh madeline has stolen Helen's boyfriend. Yeah. So yeah, and it does it without any kind of clumsy right. you know, turbo exposition or like tons of flashbacks. It's like you get it, and also too Zemeckis and the writers trusted the audience. It's like, oh no, you'll you'll get the impression that this has been going on for a while just by these characters' yeah. interactions and dialogue and stuff. It doesn't spoon feed you everything that led up to this, but there's. You know, no question, they have a history of this same they shit happening the do. entire time they've known each other. So, and it would be easy to mistake this for um, Helen being obsessed with Madeline as, as the only way this is going. But this is a two-way obsession. 
Madeline okay. is obsessed with stealing Helen's boyfriends. Yeah. Totally. She is obsessed with taking from Helen. She thinks Helen has something she doesn't have. Helen thinks the same of Madeline. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting example of... Uh, this, this comes from uh, queer theory in, in uh, critical uh, studies of just basically looking at a, a relationship like this where two people of the same sex are pursuing someone of the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. And they basically are at odds with one another trying to get to this goal. In a lot hmm. of time, a lot of ways this is portrayed, it's usually two men and this blank slate of a woman who is basically just a token to be won. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's like you just described eight billion movies. Right. This inverts that. This It does in a lot yeah. of ways, yeah. This gives all the personality to the two female characters, and the male character is, in a lot of ways, just a token. He is just something they project onto. He's nothing yeah, more than... Yeah, very much so. Yeah. He has to escape them to be a person. Yeah, and he even ends up in a damsel distress, I'm yep. hanging from a ledge scenario yep. at the end of the movie. It's like yeah. he is very much playing they have, a traditionally effeminate role. They have a sword fight over him essentially but with shovels, with shovels. <laughs> think about that okay the sword fight is dick on dick like that is let's measure each other's dicks that is what it's yeah. about that's what it was always meant to portray back when you couldn't just be like all right whose dick's bigger um <laughs> th this takes that and puts a a, a, a spade on the end right <laughs> Which could be true, seen yeah. as a yonic symbol. They're I pussy so. I hadn't thought They're about that. They're slamming their pussies against each other, trying to prove <laughs> who is the bigger woman. It's <laughs> it is amazing. I I love that inversion. So, but what what also is part of this theory though? When two people of the same sex are pursuing someone of the opposite sex and fighting each other along the way, is that what the real relationship is between the two people fighting? Yeah. The real love slash hatred, whatever, whatever you want to label it as, because in this, they, they portray, you know, they say it's hatred, but it's obsession. It's, it's, they can't get each other out of their heads. Yeah. And it goes both ways. It's not just a one way street with them. And then they end up together as a couple. Like this movie ends in 2029 and they're still together. They yeah. could go their own way. They don't. That's this true. Is, yeah, this is, I mean, this really great portrayal of what what uh, these movies are usually really about, and that is these two people of the same sex who want to be close to each other but can't do it. It's just not acceptable. Hmm. So they have to use an intermediary. In this case, B-Dub. In this case, B-Dub. In this case, yeah, you know, this handsome, successful man who, when he escapes them, is his own person and is successful and is part of the world. But when he's with them, he's nothing but a token. He's nothing yeah. but a prize to be fought over. Yeah, see, that's something that I really got out of the movie, too, is that, you know, Bruce Willis's character in this is just an, an alcoholic doof. Like, right. he dresses like a fucking nerd. There's really nothing about him that is all that important or appealing. Like, he's not in here being a, a stud muffin, no. you know, Bruce Willis hunk or anything like that and being all suave and cool. Like, 
he's not really a cool character at all. He he's a little cool before Madeline. I guess. He seems to be a kind of hot shot plastic surgeon, but he's not he is still a dork. Yeah. Yeah, and he yeah. has he has money, I guess so there's Right, that. true, yeah. But still, you're right, yes. But his real value and why they're fighting over him is because one has him and the other one doesn't. It's right. like there's no real value to him on his mm-hmm. own other than the fact that the other girl has him, so therefore he's important. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think in this case then like applying that reading of, of you know, when these two people are pursuing this one thing they're actually after each other i think that that fits here they are after each other whether that's a sexual relationship or not it doesn't matter it's about them being so obsessed with one another they can't live without each other is that why this movie is such a kind of cult classic among the lgbtq community i i don't know exactly i couldn't answer that i did i did read some stuff uh about it from those uh from lgbtq uh perspectives but i i can't say for sure why i i know that it's really popular in the drag community as well that uh mm-hmm. um they even on rupaul's drag race like season seven they had like a fashion show themed after death becomes her Wow. Yeah, and and one of the winners from uh the winner from season 5, uh Jinx Monsoon, they they said that uh it was a big inspiration as well in becoming a drag queen. I don't know, I would love to know anybody listening uh who grew up obsessed with this or is now obsessed with this. Let us know. Like why yeah, why like is this of exactly. interest? I I would hmm. love to know. Yeah, definitely, man. And how awesome is Bruce Willis? in this movie dude because the thing is is like if you look at bruce willis's work for the majority of it you know since die hard since he became bruce fucking willis there's a lot of just like show up on the set phone it in just be bruce willis on camera just be a hard ass and not give a fuck and you make bruce willis money for doing that but dude (laughs) the thing about it is is like whenever you see him in movies like this where he's not just phoning it in and he is really committing to a character and getting into it and having fun with the role. It's just such a reminder of like, man, Bruce Willis is a fucking great actor. Yeah. Yeah. He, when he wants to, just like, you know, uh, with Sixth Sense or uh, Pulp Fiction, like around this time he was getting tons of roles, but you can look back and watch a lot of those movies and be like, ah, Bruce did not want to do this movie. Gotcha. Like, yeah exactly but, yeah but this movie it's like oh he wanted to do this god he, he's way into playing this role and he's so again just nerdy and stupid yep. and like as a shitty alcoholic and stuff he's so great and a lot of his like comedic lines in this are so funny like when they tell him that his you know his wife is at the morgue and he's like oh she's gonna be so mad <laughs> yeah. he says and then yeah. I also do, I love that scene like in the morning whenever he and uh, Meryl Streep running into each other. Dude, they live in the same house. They're married. And her line, she says to him is, oh, it's you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And he says, I'm doing great. I slept great tonight or whatever it is that he says. Like yeah. his reaction, their, their dynamic and stuff is so fucking good. Uh, I think that's something that really drives this movie is just the chemistry of our three main actors and actresses in this is fantastic but man bruce willis in this is a blast yeah i mean his his name sort of says uh, a lot about his character his name is Ernest. he does seem to be uh, sincere he's not good we're not saying he's a good person but he seems to be a sincere person he's not like um 
Meryl Streep's character, who is obviously putting up a front all the time. And then, of course, Goldie Hawn's character, obviously putting up this front whenever she's selling her book and stuff. He He's always being himself. He's always being mm-hmm. true to himself, which is why it's so hard for him to be with Meryl Streep. Because before he's with uh, Madeline, uh, before he's with Madeline, he's a successful plastic surgeon. He is not an alcoholic. He doesn't have shaky hands. He gets with her after a few years with her. He's this complete wreck alcoholic. He doesn't see any point in life. He doesn't care. Uh, but he, he's still good at what he does. He, now he works on dead bodies. And, <laughs> and that's another moment where you see like his name really being fulfilled. He's, his earnestness. When that woman says that uh, he worked on her grandmother who died and then asks like, yeah. what his secret is. And he just starts talking very openly about how he makes dead bodies look good and it's just like he the the character doesn't see like oh i'm not supposed to talk about that in public he's just he's just this earnest type of guy who while he's not a a good person he does have the capacity to be a good person Uh, yeah yeah totally these other two we're supposed to see them as like not necessarily good people but a part of a system like they're they are the results of this system that tells women that they lose value as they age. Like he leaves them lives like 20 something more years or whatever in a completely different relationship. And then has like, like at his, at his funeral, like all these great things they say about him, like as a man of, of age, he still has a full life ahead of him. But then yeah, totally. they they have to cling to their youth because otherwise they're devalued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, he's he's really fantastic in this. And I love to seeing him like whenever he flies off the handle and like just even that little moment where like, you know, uh, uh Meryl Streep is like about to fall down the stairs uh-huh. and he just gives it that very <laughs> it's very bugs bunny, just a little yeah. boink push yeah. over the edge. It's so great seeing him flip out and stuff in this, man. Yeah. He, uh, he really does a great job. And there's so much, like, cartoonish stuff all over this movie where it feels like very dark Looney Tunes mm-hmm. a lot of times to me, you yeah. know? Yeah, the the head turned around backwards, the, the hole through the stomach without, like, guts falling out or anything. It's Yeah, yeah it's cartoonish. Yeah, like, Meryl Streep's head getting pressed into her shoulders. Yeah. And even at the very end of the movie where they fall down the stairs and break off into a million pieces, like, that, you know, it's not how a real rotten corpse would fall apart. You no. don't fall apart at the joints like a fucking action figure that just got dropped or something. <laughs> but it's so, it's so silly that it lightens the movie up without making it a completely disgusting, morbid exploration of what this story could have been. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes this a comedy instead of just a straight horror movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally, man, totally. Yeah, because this could, I mean, you take you take the 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 comedic element out of it, like just take the jokes out. It's a, a movie about a, a guy and his mistress planning to kill his wife and then she comes back to life from the dead. <laughs> like Yeah. That's a that's a that's a horror movie. That's a horror premise yeah. at least. But the thing is is like for all we know that could have been the original premise because this movie, after it was done, got a apparently disastrous test screening. People really hated, especially the ending of the movie, 
and they went about doing a drastic amount of recuts, changed the ending, cut characters out. Like Tracy Ullman was in the movie at some yeah. point, apparently. Yeah, they also totally cut her storyline. Yeah, they, they cut a few people out. Jonathan Silverman also played a small role too. Yeah, like, um, yeah, they did some recuts. I, I, it was always a comedy though. It was always supposed to be a comedy. They didn't, they didn't come in later and add that. So. It, it wouldn't have been too much different. It's actually the interesting thing is the original ending is happier. Really? And that, yeah, that didn't work with audiences. <laughs> the original What was ending, happier about the original? Uh, he just, he's still alive, I think, is the only difference. Uh, yeah, in the original ending, he, he escapes from the party. He meets Tracy Ullman at a bar. Tracy Ullman helps him fake his death, and then they escape into retirement. Huh, okay. So it's it's not much different except that he doesn't actually die. But I like the fact that since he does die at the end of the, the finished product there, we get to focus on how Meryl Streep and um, uh, Goldie, Hawn. Goldie Hawn's yeah. relationship has yeah. you know, joined yeah. up and changed since then. Yeah, getting the focus rid of on him them, which does, like. it helps the movie, I think. Like, I'm glad they had to change that ending. But yeah, I like that at the end how it does keep the focus on those two's relationship because for the third act of the movie, we've actually spent quite a lot of time with Bruce Willis kind of being the center of the attention there, which I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about like, I love getting to spend more time with his character considering that it's kind of like his breaking point and his escape from these two crazy women that are obsessed with each other. But then at the same time, I could also sit here and say objectively, it might make the narrative kind of inconsistent because we've been following the two ladies the whole movie and then the third act is kind of all him. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? Is that an okay departure to you? Are you like, man, why did he take over being the source Hmm. of the movie right here? I think that, yeah, it does move a little into his perspective uh, for the majority of that, like uh, the climax, I would say. And I think maybe, maybe, yeah, you're right. I mean, it does, it's really, it is shifting now our narrative perspective a bit. I don't know, though. I mean, I don't know what we would have gotten from seeing it from the other perspective. Like, they they don't change. Like, the movie, I guess, really isn't about them in a lot of ways. Like, it shows them, it shows who they are very clearly, but the they're they don't have a character arc in the sense of actually changing they kind of accept that they're stuck together but they're not real like they don't learn that it's not that they're stuck together it's that they actually want to be together um so i guess it did have to take over there he somebody had to have an arc (laughs) <laughs> and so it was yeah, him. that's true. Yeah. yeah, and I guess he kind of he kind of again reached that yeah. breaking point and figured you're out. Right. Like, yeah. I gotta get the fuck away from these people. Yeah, you're right. Though it is a shift. It is a change from the the focus of the rest of the movie. Yeah, but I don't know. Like I said, it's like I'm not really all that all that mad about no. it. At the, at the no, no, it time, works you know? just fine for me. Yeah, yeah, th- it totally, man. That's just to try to find some flaws. That that's definitely one for sure. But yeah. it's it's not it's not gonna take you out of the movie at all. No, I don't think so either, man. And our cast is kind of rounded out by our our fourth kind of main character here, mm-hmm. which I, I'm so glad I'm so glad that they found it in their hearts to cast someone as plain <laughs> someone as <laughs> as 
just normal and homely as Isabella Rossellini yeah, to be this yeah. very hypersexualized. Yeah, I'm sure they just found character. her at a truck stop somewhere or something, you know, just like who's who's this homely girl? Well, you know what? We'll put her in the movie. We'll give her a shot. We'll give her a try here. You know, yeah. this is not a traditionally sexy woman or anything like that, Jesus. but yeah, worth she, a try. She is just pure sex in this movie, but she's also funny. Isabella Rossellini is is very funny. It's like check her out on Thirty Rock. Um, very funny stuff. But yeah, um, she she's yeah gorgeous, absolutely amazing, and also almost forty in this. So like yeah, you know she she is sort of portraying that ageless quality there's the you know as i said earlier the joke that uh she's 38 uh when she's in fact 39 so yeah <laughs> she's offended about yeah, it yeah and she's offended about it like you got so close <laughs> um but yeah like she her everything she's in she just plays that good like uh devil's bargain type of role where you know she she's very neutral about the whole sort of thing yeah, totally. Uh, she's not really a good or bad character, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She just has the power, and yeah, you know, you she, go. She'd for have it. a hard time getting service at any gas station, though, because most of them have that no shirt, no service kind of policy. <laughs> she's not big on shirts, jewelry uh -uh, though. Not she really likes that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she makes it work. She makes. I it bet work. her and Linnea Quigley off. would be really good friends. Oh yeah, both anti-shirt. Both very anti-shirt ladies. Yeah. yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome in this. I couldn't think really of anybody who would be better oh, cast yeah, as no, this mysterious, no. sexy, foreign, exotic woman. Yeah, she's With the great. secrets of eternal youth at her disposal. Yeah. And I love, too, how, like, we never really get any exposition or explanation of, like, where yeah. the youth serum is coming from. Nope. Like, how it works. Like, I don't really care, honestly. Like... This is one of those movies kind of like Gremlins where there's there's holes in the rules for sure. Sure. But it doesn't bug me. It's fine. You know? Just, yeah. I, I go with it. I accept whatever they're feeding me here with it. Yeah, you take it. It keeps you young. Whatever. Yeah, I like the mystery of it. I mean, you know, we see all the different movie stars and stuff at the at the party. It's like there's this whole deep world to this going on. But, you know, we don't, we don't know about it. Uh, but, yeah, it's it, you're right. It's... It's um, you know, there's there's no explanation. Like, why why is it that when you put a little bit of the elixir straight into your blood on your hand, it just changes your hand? Like, why wouldn't it go throughout your entire blood system? <laughs> like, yeah, 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 doesn't matter. Yeah. Who cares? None, yeah, none of that really matters because it's just like it presents you with this interesting world, makes you think like, oh, well, what's going on there? But never gives you enough to make it boring because that's that's how you make something boring is you take away the mystery so it, it never gives you enough to make you go like oh okay well i don't care uh yeah yeah it, totally. it's always just dangling it, enough where you're like oh okay oh all right well, all right i know that doesn't make sense but okay <laughs> yeah and of course that that youth elixir that is kind of you know the the main quest i guess you could say in this movie that uh -huh. these women are pursuing I think that in itself is a really interesting facet because, you know, they're both chasing after this guy. You know, Goldie Hawn has Bruce Willis, then Meryl Streep steals him, and she wants to get him back and all this kind of shit. Um, as we see, you know, after Meryl Streep gets Bruce Willis, they've very much fallen out of love. Yeah. It, for her, it's just about the it chase, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the thing about it is, too, is I think that 
in Meryl Streep's character's head, he fell out of love with her because she's aging and she's not as beautiful anymore. But he never once says that. It seems like the women's obsession over their looks. You know what? It's very much like how dudes obsess about getting fucking jacked and shredded. Yeah, and that's... It's to impress other guys. It's not at all because chicks want that or anything. It's because they're out to impress other dudes. I get the impression that in this movie... They're out to keep each other, or rather, they're out to keep themselves as young and beautiful as they can, not to impress Bruce Willis, but to impress the other chick. Because, again, they're just obsessed with each other. You know, I think some of that, by the way, the the way that men are trying to impress other men, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the majority of compliments men get in their lives are from other men. Hmm. Like... Yeah. Yeah, I Yeah, actually. Yeah. I, and it's understandable. W- women feel uncomfortable telling strange men like, "Oh, you look nice today," cuz he may be some weirdo obsessive and that is the invitation for him to now murder you. Uh, well, let's be on- let's be honest though. I mean, honestly, it to most all dudes out there, if a chick pays you a compliment, you just think she's coming on to you and not just yeah. being a good person. Yeah, exactly. That's just yes, exactly. Most dudes. Yeah, so I understand. So most men are getting most of their compliments from other men. Uh, I know for sure I've gotten more compliments about the way I'm dressed from men than women. Uh, And I realized whenever uh, I think we did uh, the American Psycho episode and I was talking about fashion, uh, I realized that like, I I don't think women pay any bit of attention to the things that men think are important in fashion. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I don't think women right. are noticing these things at all. It's just yeah, us. Yeah. We're the only ones paying attention. Like, I've heard people, uh, guys say, like, um, if, you know, guys will get a motorcycle to impress chicks. More men will talk to you about your motorcycle than women ever will. Like, oh, dude, I mean, you're talking to a guy that, like, fucking plays guitar for Yes, a exactly. How many, how many chicks do you think swoon over me after shows right. versus how many guys are asking me about what fucking string gauge I <laughs> exactly, use? Exactly, yes. Come on, dude. Exactly. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, I, I see that. I think, I think you're right probably there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's just one of those things in this movie that I kind of, I, I don't think I really understood the first time that I watched it is that, their pursuit of beauty is just to impress each other. Yeah. But that's also, too, I think, it, tying into that Beverly Hills right. Hollywood narrative. Because the thing is, is, I don't know, man. I think that things have changed a little bit in that we do have people that are getting up in up in their years that are still being, you know, famous movie stars and uh, getting all these big roles and stuff like that. Whereas probably back in the days of, you know, old Hollywood, even, you know, let's be honest, before plastic surgery and stuff like this, where you kind of got put out to pasture after you were too old to be pretty anymore by normal standards. Yeah, this is definitely um, uh, uh, based somewhat on Sunset Boulevard, which is basically based on that. And then also the the, uh, musical that Madeline's doing in the beginning, Songbird, exclamation point is an adaptation of Tennessee Williams' Sweet Bird of Youth, which is about an aging actress pining for her youth. Yeah, that was totally over my head, because whenever the movie started on this like supposedly horrible musical, I I just thought that was some shit that they made up for the movie. But yeah, reading some trivia, I guess that was based on, like you said, an actual um, an actual play that they turned into a musical for this movie, but that was way over my head. I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there are a few just different references to other things though, that like, 
definitely are implying the overall idea that these are this is an actress who's past her prime these are women who are supposedly past their prime and they're trying to cling to youth so the the movie is yeah it's just constantly reinforcing its message of like this is ridiculous look how absurd look look at what levels you people will go to to try to just cling on to that last strap of youth like just the little bit and there's no reason for it they they're obsessing over it to try to keep up with the other people around them like everybody's aging well it seems like they're just trying to keep up with each other more than anything right, and yeah. it's it's made even more silly by the fact that goldie hawn and meryl streep in this are still gorgeous as shit you know yeah. that's the thing that i thought was really great about this too is like some of that special effects makeup is so subtle and so not mm-hmm. over the top like whenever meryl streep drives to you know isabella's mansion and she shows up and like yeah she's got like bags under her eyes and stuff like this she's right. like a normal person she's yeah just like, like human someone being. who was just out in the rain yeah <laughs> yeah and then when she takes the serum and she kind of like reinvigorates herself and like her like butt pumps up and all this uh-huh. kind of stuff and you see her her face change it makes you realize like what you were perceiving as like oh she just looks like a normal everyday person that was special effects makeup, actually. It's but right. it's so subtly done. Like she doesn't yeah. look like the fucking old king in the two towers. You no. know what I'm saying? No, it's just these very subtle as I'm saying, like just a little bit of makeup, just a little subtle hint. Uh but yeah. They then when you see they take the makeup off and it's just Meryl Streep. Uh it's like, oh, okay. Um that's she looks great. Good job. Uh but she she doesn't she doesn't look like suddenly 20 right it's subtle yeah it's just very subtle changes i I like that because it keeps uh it it keeps the audience reminded that she's freaking out over barely anything over barely anything yeah Yeah, exactly right exactly yeah i love too that they brought in all those like cameos of you know we had like elvis in there we had uh Marilyn monroe and um fuck what's his name uh artist he does art things oh uh, andy warhol andy warhol i was quizzing you i was just yeah, making sure yeah. that you knew you know famous <laughs> artists and stuff like that i'm the one with an art degree i was just checking to see if you could keep, you know keep up with me and stuff <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah i yeah. like all those things because like i said that was the age where you know like i said stars would reach a certain age and just vanish we never got to see them get old you right know? yeah or they'd you know live uh live short and leave a beautiful corpse like james dean who's also yeah. in this yeah james dean jim morrison yeah that just all these people who died young it's i mean it's it's it seems like something that um looks more glamorous than it is like the fact that we'll never see james dean as an old feeble man doesn't doesn't improve his life at all like (laughs) Mm. like like people who think like well i want to die young to leave a beautiful corpse it's like well yeah but then that's it you're dead like there's nothing more to it so you just wasted a life to look good when you died (laughs) why I guarantee he didn't look good, by the way. He was in a car crash. <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. not good, yeah. right? <laughs> There's also another cameo in here by somebody I didn't recognize because they weren't getting hit in the face by a goose. 
<laughs> Fabio. Oh, poor Fabio. Fabio was in this, dude. I feel bad about that, actually. That's exact. I was going to say something about that. That poor Fabio. Look, the man was just incredulous about a non-butter product. And then he... <laughs> I can't he, believe it's not butter. If, if you heard of anybody getting, like... On a roller coaster, headbutting a goose, she'd be like, "Oh my God, are they okay?" But it was Fabio, so everybody was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> what? That's fucking funny. That's I mean, true. it's just like a shock, though. It's like, wait, okay, Fabio, for some reason, was on a roller coaster. The man does <laughs> not even believe in hydrogenated oils. I yeah. can't understand how he would get on a roller coaster. But while up there, <laughs> he had an encounter with a goose. That just sounds like something you couldn't make up. Because right. nobody would believe it. <laughs> but there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, let's let's go ahead and ask a question here. Because, you know, obviously this is a dark comedy, as we've been talking about. There's this love triangle element and stuff. But is this a horror movie? And are they zombies? Well, they are definitely zombies. Uh, right? They're, they're living dead. That they're they're zombies, and it, in that way, it is using the living dead zombie thing, much like Romero used it, to try to make this societal point about this horrible uh, culture among the rich and famous, and you know, spread out into the rest of the world of uh, this constant need for youth and and never aging and but basically leaving a beautiful corpse. So they, they are zombies, which I can't think of a movie with zombies that does not have the label horror on it. Yeah. So it, it's got that. It also has a witch who makes zombies. Can't That's think true. of a movie with a witch who makes zombies that is not a horror movie. So it has to fit into the horror genre, but it is a comedy. Well, here's the thing, though, is like if that's your definition that a a person who is dead but living is a zombie, that would make vampires an offshoot of zombie because they are also uh, dead but living. Well, there's a there's a difference slightly, but yes, I mean the the idea of the vampire does come after the idea of the undead in general. The zombie label, though, wouldn't be applied until George Romero basically was like, oh, I like what you did with those Haitian zombies. Let's make them just, you know, regular old undead. So mm -hmm. they all kind of fit together. But the, the label undead works best here, I guess, rather than saying zombie. But it is the I closest. So. It is the closest thing because... But they're not. They don't. They don't desire to eat human flesh or anything. I was gonna so. say that's the that's the area where things get kind of gray yeah. for me. Is like zombie, undead person who has only the animal like right. lizard brain characteristics. That yeah, they've retained their life. entire brain, but their body is decaying. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas a vampire is someone who remains immortally young, but also feeds off of human life essence. Right. Uh, in a way, yeah. they're more like vampires because they preserve their personality and humanity, but they're not right. really like a vampire or a zombie yeah. in that they do not consume other living humans to sustain themselves. So it's kind yeah. of a, it's kind of an unusual class. It's like is an immortal of any kind a type of zombie? 
No, because mm. they're alive, I guess. Yeah, yeah. If you if you haven't died, then no. Yeah, you, you have to have died and come back to life. Or in this case, um, well, yeah, they never they die, do. though, is the thing. They, 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 they do go through death, though. Their bodies do die. And like, their heartbeats have stopped. And yeah, stuff. because they had heartbeats before. They weren't dead when they consumed the, the potion. So the potion yeah. made it so that their their heartbeat can stop, but their brain continues to, to go. Yeah. So, and it's and, something and again, that's that, that slowing the decay as well. I mean, even though they are decaying, that it is the fi- it's in 2029 in in the end. So they, they would have rotten, like completely rotted long before if they were decaying normally. See, that's what I wondered about as far as like the mechanics of how this potion works and stuff. Right. It's like, you know, we find out that, that Rosalini is 70, but the thing is, is like, do you still live a normal life expectancy except that your body doesn't show your well, she, age? Like, she said would to, you naturally live to like, you know, 90 and then just drop dead of old age, but you'll still look young and beautiful? Well, she said to take care of your body. So I'm guessing right. there's still possibility of dying of certain things. But if it rejuvenates your skin, I'm assuming it rejuvenates your veins and organs and things, which would mean that the only way to die would be, you know, to fall down the stairs or whatever, any of these other ways of dying, but maybe not disease. I don't know. That's the thing, man. It's like at the end of the movie, you know, they, they live through the cardinal zombie uh, d- destruction law. They are decapitated and yeah. they're still alive. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the return return of the living dead zombies. They could still live while decapitated. Okay. So, Touché. I, I, yeah, Touché. some some zombies have been that way. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think what it is. I mean, uh, David Kep said that this is it was meant to be Night of the Living Dead. If George Cucker directed it, George Cucker directed My Fair Lady. Um, but oh, also, okay. but was also a director, well, like from the '30s through the '40s, and directed a lot of those sort of like comedies throughout the time. He d- directed the second "A Star Is Born," the one in 1954. So, basically, it would have been what they were looking for is Night of the Living Dead with that sort of sharp wit of '40s comedies, and the, you know, right. I think they got that, but. Yeah. Were, yeah, so they were definitely going for a zombie vibe, but I think you're right. This, yeah, this doesn't fit any sort of definition of zombie I've ever seen. It's still undead. It is closer to vampire. I I would like to maybe look more into that in the future. I'll, I'll keep this, actually, I'll write this down to yeah. just see if there's kind of a, a different offshoot. Like of a miscellaneous undead. category of undead. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> yeah, because it's like they in a way, Robocop is undead, yeah. right? Yeah, Robocop is. Yeah, yeah, because he he is still. Ex- uh, they've suppressed his memories, but his memories are still there. Yeah, yeah, huh? And I love too in that scene. You know, like speaking of them dying and stuff. After Meryl Streep's character dies, and they take her to the doctor, and uh, the doctor is played by what's his name? Oh, uh, Sidney Pollack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Sidney Pollack. I totally didn't realize it was him while I was watching the movie, and I was reading the credits. And I was like, "Wait, that was Sidney Pollack." Yeah, Sidney fuck? Pollack. Fucking Sidney Pollack. Yeah. The way that he's like bending her wrist backwards <laughs> is like, does this hurt? Yeah, is hilarious and so subtle. And then I love the fact that like after he takes her pulse and she's fucking dead, 
He runs away. Bruce Willis freaks out. And he's like, we need to find you a doctor. And he goes running through the hospital. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's had a heart attack yeah. and is dying. It's, it is, it's, a, it's a vaudeville routine. It is insane. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's just like It's very silly. Yeah, and, and Meryl Streep's perfect in it. Like She's just playing that. that str- they're both playing it so straight, but the doctor's just slowly getting more concerned. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the way that plays out. Yeah, it's perfect, man. It's so funny. And, of course, all these deaths and dismemberments and stuff like that are shown to us in the form of some special effects and stuff that, dude, I have to say, yeah. hold up really fucking well. I mean, this is... It's uh, it's kind of crazy. This is Industrial Light and Magic uh, working on a small scale to see if it would work on a bigger scale. So... They're putting all of their effort into these very small scale things. And yeah, looking at it now, almost 30 years later, it's like, that's 1992? Like that, you see why it won the Academy Award that year for special effect. Yeah, yeah. And they did kind of a little bit of everything here. Like there's some, there's some CGI, obviously. Mm -hmm. There's some green screen stuff. There's some animatronics. Apparently some of the shots were like... screen stuff. This was before they even did green screen. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Thanks, nerd. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually. Actually. um, They didn't start doing green screen until later with um, the the Star Wars. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But like apparently even some of the scenes where like Meryl Streep's head is on backwards and shit like this... Some of that is like animatronic. Yeah, yeah, they had which animatronic is models. Crazy. And stuff. It's crazy. It's really yeah. hard to tell where like the live action or yeah uh, blue screen ends and the yeah. animatronic or CG begins. It's, it's all very pretty hard seamless. To tell. Yeah, yeah, they they did a great job of putting it all together. Uh, this, it's, I mean, yeah, it, it, you you can tell uh, a good bit of it is. Uh, sort of cg because it's you know still visible it's 1992 you can look at it and see it but i think they just play they did it so well and they did they wasn't over ambitious like they were going for kind of small things like a hole in the body like if she's standing still can we just put a blue spot there and and put a hole in her body yes we can show the background perfect. through it yeah, yeah. perfect like, and it, i love how they play with that too like whenever uh, you know, she like sits down on that couch and that broken off broom handle, uh-huh. or, uh, shovel handle or whatever, <laughs> like goes through her. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it looks great. It's, um, you know, it's probably where most of that budget went, I would say, because <laughs> like I should think most of the most of the stuff is all done on sets. Uh, you know, you got you got the three main or four main names but everybody else kind of smaller roles so like yeah i'd say most of it goes into the cg so they you know it, it i think what happened maybe because like we just talked about terminator uh, from 1984 and while we were talking about it we both had rewatched t2 um i think in this period of the late 80s early 90s cgi attempts I think maybe they just weren't they weren't pushing it to the point that late 90s early 2000s did like maybe mm-hmm. it was just like seen as well use it sparingly 
and because they used it sparingly and didn't push it too far it still looks good but then you know you get into the late 90s and especially when the the you know uh software and stuff started getting cheaper and more accessible everybody's using it and they're not using that restraint and it's like oh okay everything's rubbery and shitty looking and will look bad in a year yeah yeah so but using restraint makes it hold up yeah totally man and dude i can't even imagine this is one of those things that like i've grown to appreciate you know as i have edited my own videos and stuff like that for years now like mm-hmm. the first video that i ever edited was on my HP laptop around 10 years ago using, like, Windows Movie Maker, right? Oh, man. (laughs) And it was a fucking pain in the dick. It was the most unusable, disorganized piece of shit program ever. What was doing CGI like in 1992 (laughs) on a computer that could, like, maybe run Ozark Trail? Like, what the fuck? Uh, How hard was that? I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. No, man. I mean, and yeah, and ILM is, this is where, like, a lot of the programs and stuff were being written. Like, they would come up with the idea and then be like, okay, how could we do that? Like, how could we make a computer do that? Yeah, no, I I don't understand. I don't understand how they got around the limitations. Because even, too, like... There's certain shots in this that obviously are like enhanced by CG, but there's some that are 100% CG. Like yeah. the scene where after Meryl Streep falls down the stairs and she's just in a crumpled heap, and we get Bruce Willis in the foreground making the phone call for the uh, for the hospital and stuff, right? Right. Uh, and we see her like corpse reanimating and kind of like setting itself up out of focus in the background. That's all CG. Hmm. I didn't notice. And it's so convincing. Like, again, you didn't notice. That's how you know it was good. Like, good special effects hide in plain sight, and that's one of them. And honestly, if you sit down and think about it, you're like, yeah, how else would they have made this crumpled heap in the background reanimate itself and pop itself back into place and walk into frame? Only CGI can do that. And they did it in 92. Again, it's out of focus and stuff, but it looks like how a real out-of-focus figure in the background of a shot would look it's extremely convincing yeah that's awesome i mean you know uh it's easy to shit on cgi because uh you know it's new sometimes it's just lazy man sometimes it's lazy sometimes it's bad but there are real artists out there making great computer stuff like i mean most of the mcu (laughs) is a huge amount of green screen and computer generated like stuff so uh we've gotten to a point now where we can make these great epic movies because so many people made shit movies along the way that they were really just pressing the the limits of the technology that they had because they wanted to show that you we could get there so you know it Maybe maybe a bad idea to be mad at CG, uh, but there are definitely reasons, you know, to be like, this is obviously them taking the easy route and not caring about the movie or whatever. But when you see stuff like this, it's like, well, they obviously cared. They were putting oh, a yeah. lot of effort into the CG. And dude, this is one of those ones that I definitely remember watching 
that was featured on that movie magic show. Uh-huh. Remember where they showed yes. special yeah. effects and shit? Uh-huh. We talked about that before. Yes, sir. Yeah. This is totally one of the ones yep. I remember being on that show Me way too. back in the day. And I'll tell you too, man, all these awesome characters and special effects and stuff, I think are further brought to life by the sets and incredible set design and set decoration and yeah. stuff that we see through this movie. Dude, the, the level of detail is hilarious and fantastic yeah. and really just builds this world up so much. Like even, uh, even in sets that are there for one scene in the movie, yes. like whenever we see Goldie Hawn in her cat lady apartment, like that's really the only time we see that set. Yeah. Yeah. But there's so much fucking detail. There going is. On. Dude, yeah. like, it's Whenever great. she opens up that cabinet it's and there's another cat frosting. in the cabinet right? and frosting and shit, like <laughs> the level of detail they went to just for stuff that most people aren't even going to notice is hilarious. Well, then uh, I should point out that the cinematographer Dean Cundy and production designer Rick Carter are both the cinematographer and production designer for Jurassic Park. There you go, man. Yeah, yep, and Jurassic Park in, in is, is full of background stuff. Yeah, so no doubt. Yeah, I th- I think they did uh they did a very convincing job of make like fleshing out this world in the background in the production design. Uh, one of the things that uh was really funny to me because I noticed uh, the first time rewatching it that there was a lot of Frankenstein sort of elements to it, especially whenever like he repaints her and stuff like there's oh, this, yeah, this really frankenstein moment but in the bit where uh helen is describing the plan to kill madeline and it shows the the folder uh with the case on it and it gets just stamped case closed on that desk there is a, a human brain uh with a, a thing on it that says abnormal which is Aww. a nod to uh, young, Frankenstein. young Frankenstein. So Abby something, Abby normal. <laughs> so good. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So the again, as you were saying, the production design just really deep and like really trying to make these nods to the inspirations for the film, which are all again like horror or thriller. So yeah, man. And dude, like speaking of that plot scene that you were talking about a second ago. How ridiculously over the top is that shit? It's so funny. That's one of my favorite segments of the movie. And they're talking about like, oh, we'll make it look like she had a little too much to drink. Right. And there's like and there's so like, many bottles of vodka and stuff <laughs> yeah, in there. Yeah. Everywhere. And they yeah. like soak the whole vehicle in uh-huh. that shit. Like it's so over the top. Like it kind of yeah. reminds me of the sequences in like Emperor's New Groove where they're talking about, and then I'll smash them with a hammer. Like all those plot scenes and that. It feels, again, very cartoony, very Looney Tunes to me, the way yeah. that they frame that, but it's dark and fucked up. I even yeah. like, too, how much time they spent on the, the psych ward that Goldie Hawn is in whenever she's like you know in the psych <laughs> ward towards the first of the movie. It looks apparently exactly yeah. like the set of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And oh, uh, yeah, I, I love, too, that like she's there with the fellow patients and the person leading are... like, the therapy <laughs> session, who or what? I was going to say, who are uh, uh, looking very nervous, and I was like, that's a weird way for them to portray it. But they're yeah. actually nervous about what she's going to say. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to I was gonna say the same thing. I love that it shows us that, like, Goldie Hawn is driving the people in the nuthouse insane. Yeah, with her that's obsession. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so also, good. Uh, Kitty Foreman is in there. Uh, the, the mom from That 70s Show is one of the, the patients. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. It's, 
I mean, uh, I wouldn't have noticed except for the looking through the IMDb. I was like, Kitty Foreman, what? Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I I think you're I think you're right. Like the depth of the production design really just sells the world for sure. I also think that um, like the comedy, like as I said, it's 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 vaudevillian at times, or in very much reminds me of like 30s and 40s sort of comedies. <laughs> one of the things that I thought I think is probably one of the funniest moments is after Madeline drinks the potion, Isabella Rossellini goes, now a warning. And she goes, yeah. now a warning? Now? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you should have me drink this shit. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of comedy, too, that's really subtle where you only think about it afterwards where you're like, wait. Okay, like, for example, <laughs> yeah. whenever she's driving, I think it's when she's driving to Isabella's uh, cas- uh, mansion there, she looks at herself in the rearview mirror and is just dismayed about, like, how, you know, she's got bags under her eyes and shit like right. this, right? This one, she almost causes that car crash. Uh-huh. So she puts on sunglasses <laughs> as she is driving yes. at night in the rain. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like an overtly made joke where it's yeah. just like, oh, do you see what she did there? But you think back on it <laughs> like, and you're like... Yeah, like you would have somebody in the passenger side just be like, you shouldn't put on those sunglasses. It's dark. Yeah, but you think <laughs> back on it and you're like, she was so freaked out about the fact that she looked bad that she put on sunglasses driving by herself in a car yeah. at night yeah. during a rainstorm. Yeah. Subtle shit like that yeah, is so funny. funny, man. Yeah, it is really funny. I, I did have a question about one line. When she's um, at the plastic surgeon and she's talking about the, I guess, nurse or whatever who's uh, telling her she can't get whatever procedure she was wanting. Yeah. She said, she said I used to look like you. And she lists off a, f- a few things and then she says, tits like rocks. What? Yeah. Is this like Rocks. a is this like forty year old virgin like a bag of like we're the, it's like a bag of sand <laughs> yeah like we're David Kep and Martin Donovan like yeah we both know what boobs feel like right and rocks yeah like rocks boulders. yeah yeah one of them said rocks and the other one agreed <laughs> <laughs> they just went with it yeah 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 rocks yeah that's a good thing when you a boob feels like rocks what <laughs> that's a good question but yeah you're right there's a lot of just subtle very dry, very dark humor in this that you kind of don't even get until you think back on it mm-hmm. and think about how irrational or how silly yeah. those decisions are. Now, Steve, let me ask you a question here because some of the bad reviews that I read about this movie center on the idea that, and this, I mean, you know, you can't say this isn't true to a point. Mm-hmm. A bunch of guys got together yeah. and wrote a movie about how vain women are. What do you think about that? I mean, that is... I'm not going to invalidate the reading by saying that it's a a weak reading. I think you can... I can see how some people might see that. I can see how you might see that, but I think you would have to intentionally ignore a lot of what's going on. That being that both of the women are in power... Um, that they don't need the token they're fighting over and that they're focused on each other. Okay. Touche. That's fair. I don't think that 
it is about them representing all women. Uh, I think that is, in fact, the, like I said when we talked about Friday the 13th Part uh, 5, where people see that scene where the two guys are, like, in the, the car on the side of the road broke down, they see it as uh, maybe they're a gay couple, and it's like, well, it's just two guys in a scene. Like, that's the only reason why you're thinking this. The only reason why somebody might think that these two women have to represent all women is because they're women. Like, okay. women, women are held to this, like, uh, in, in whenever they're portrayed as like a, a character in a, a movie or whatever, they're held as somehow responsible for all women. It even happens with say like, oh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, wet ass p word, um, uh, Cardi B and and <laughs> Megan The Stallion. Like when when they put out this song, it's like you see people being like, well, they shouldn't be like that. Women are supposed to be oh, good so examples vulgar. to to other to little girls or whatever. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why do women suddenly have to be examples? Why is every woman an example of all women? Why can't these right. two female characters just hate each other and not yeah, be a representation it. of every single woman in the world? Yeah, exactly. Like maybe this maybe this is just a story about two people that are very superficial yeah. and vain. That doesn't mean that is every fucking woman on earth yeah because if if we're saying then that they they represent every woman on earth then we have to say the the male character represents every man on earth which means this movie is saying men are weak and ineffectual and won't take responsibility for their own actions and have bloody marys and aspirin for breakfast every morning yeah so it, it in no way would then be uh denigrating women any more than it's denigrating men so then the satire yeah. would still work just fine it's I, yeah, I don't think that reading works. I think it's maybe a, you know, when you're when you're a critic, especially in the '90s, when you know you're not going to get to rewatch this movie or whatever, uh, you watch it the first time and you go, eh, I think it was probably uh, denigrating women. I'll just write about that. Like, but that falls apart to too when you factor in that it's not just women that takes the potion, right? Yeah, because there's like uh, three or four movie star men there elvis presley jim morrison andy warhol like they were they all james dean they all took it they're all trying to preserve their youth like it's yeah it's definitely not saying only women are doing this i think it's more about the beverly hills lifestyle than the the female beverly hills lifestyle it, it's very much yeah. focused on the that uh, this is the type of, of greed and jealousy and anger and hatred for each other and also, you know, pure uh, connection that these people all have because they all live this very particular life that no one else can connect to, so they have to be friends with each other, even though they hate each other. Like, those are at the center of this far more than women bad. Yeah, I think so too. And it's like you said, it's like it's easy to see where people get that interpretation, but sure, that's that's not really what I get out of no. it either. You know? No. Yeah, and I, I think now more than ever, looking back on it thirty years later, and still being able to see like, oh, these are two strong women who uh, this passes the Bechdel test. They talk about more than than a man. And in fact, their That's fight true. their fight has little to do with the man after a while. He is very much just not even involved, except as a, a pawn that they're both trying to play with. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. 
And, you know, the last thing I want to point out that I think is really fantastic in this is the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack definitely has a good heavy dash of Danny Elfman to it. There's a yeah, lot of that yeah. kind of spooky, gothic, well, yeah. modern thing that he does. Yeah, it's Alan but Silvestri. It the movie. So, uh, yeah, he does. It's just a movie. He's definitely, I think you're right, he's going for Danny Elfman a little bit. Uh, but it also does have the Silvestri feel to it, I think. I mean, you know, it's no Forrest Gump. But it, <laughs> it it's it's good. It definitely fits really well with the movie. Yeah, I think so too, man. Do you have anything else overall that you'd like to kind of kind of point out about this flick? Uh, no, not really. I I think uh, I think we've said the big major elements. I mean this this movie I loved as a kid, and I had watched it semi recently with with Emily and had loved it again. So. Coming into this, I was pretty sure I was going to love this movie and was a little worried that looking at it with a critical eye, I was going to be like, oh, fuck, it's not as good as I remember. It is. It's still awesome. What would you put this thing on that old uh, rating scale that we got? Oh, man. If I had to slap a rating on this, man, I mean, you know, it's uh, as far as horror it's not you know it just fits with uh, thematic elements of horror it's it's not a scary movie it's not intentionally trying to titillate in any of those ways but it's playing with all those things and it does it in a really good way uh it doesn't get caught up in uh satirizing the tropes of horror movies which a lot of horror comedies do which is fun and funny but it's it's nice when you get a horror comedy that's just original and, and interesting. Uh, so I love this movie. I I think, you know, I wouldn't change anything about it, but that's because I have so much uh, nostalgia for it. But uh, I, I would understand if maybe, you know, like you said, there there's some shifts in tone and, you know, the, the perspective in the, the third act and stuff. And, um... Yeah, it's it's not a perfect movie, but I love it. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna give this an eight for sure. Yeah, yeah. I side with that. Eight. I side with that, man. It, it's in that zone where it's like, in terms of a, a horror comedy, I'm not gonna say it's yeah. it's up there with like Shaun of the Dead or something yeah, like that, which is like, much that's kind more of the horror. Ultimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, like a lot more laugh out loud, right? Comedic. This is a lot more dark, a lot more subtle. It's kind of like. If the Adams family wasn't made for families, like a family <laughs> audience, you yeah. know, because yeah. Adams family, like we talked about on our review of that last October, like that really treads a fine line where it's morbid and stuff, but it never gets too fucked up. Like, yeah, this gets pretty fucked up in a lot of Very, ways. Yeah, <laughs> especially like when you just sit back and think about what happened in that scene or whatever. Uh, but it's not overt, really, in the horror aspects or right. the comedic aspects or anything. But, dude, just the, the set design, the soundtrack, everything, I think is fantastic. And it is also, like we said, unbelievable that they pulled off these special effects in 1992. I think yeah. that the the first act of this movie is on, like, nitrous oxide. The first act of this movie Yeah, it goes so fast. So yeah. fast. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's but like, it works you know, within, effectively. It does, yeah, yeah. But it's like within, you know, 15 minutes, you travel... 14 years yep. seven years later seven mm -hmm. years later and then the then the movie starts essentially yeah. you know it's one of those that like the pacing is a little uneven in mm -hmm. some ways 
but the characters and the performances and stuff are so worthwhile that it keeps me focused. I think that if this movie had lesser actors and actresses in it, it really would have suffered from that uneven pace Mm -hmm. and somewhat uneven narrative a little bit more. But considering you got people that are just really, really selling these roles to you, uh, for me anyway, it really kept me on deck. Uh, so I think I'm right there with you, man. I think around like a, a probably a seven and a half is where I would put this movie. It's not it's not perfect, but I will gladly, gladly rewatch this uh, many times for sure, especially with people who've never seen it before, you know? Now, we did this uh, movie at the, the request of, of Kate for her birthday. My wife, we didn't plan it perfectly. At the time of this recording. Yeah, we didn't plan it perfectly, but still, birthday present for Kate. Do we know Yay. what Kate's rating is on it? Well, you know, Steve, it just so happens that I have Birthday Girl what? right here in the, in the APT, so she's going to dump her rating on you right now. Do it. So I grew up with this movie, saw mm-hmm. it a bunch, rented it on VHS, watched Aww. it on TV. So it has a lot of sentimental value for me. I'd probably put it at an eight. That's if what I, I said. Now, maybe less, but I love it so much. So it gets an eight because nothing deserves a ten. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the bottom line because Stone Kate said so. Stone Kate. <laughs> yeah. Cold as that's ice. awesome. Well, so, yeah, uh, so Kate and I, had, we all had similar scores. Ballpark Buds. Stole that from Doughboys. There you go. This movie is a good. This movie is a good. Definitely recommend. And Steve, you know what? What? Is good or maybe is not good, depending on what it is that I have or haven't seen. It's the movie that we're doing next week on the show, which is a Patreon pick, which is... Is... The Faculty. Oh, wow. I cannot believe we picked that movie. Our patrons have some truly unexpected choices of movies that we love or don't. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it. How in the world can someone get the power to get their movie covered on a future episode of Dead and Lovely? Now, question mark. I know other podcasts. You got to do things like you gotta you gotta take a trip cross country. You gotta uh, find your inner worth. You gotta confront your father. You gotta do all these tough things mm-hmm. before you can get involved in the podcast. Well, guess what? Exactly. Over here in Dead, all Lovely, you gotta do for us is send nudes. Send nudes to us. That's it. Let's That's see it. them dicks. No. Yeah. Go Let me to see Patreon. them balls, boys. Let me see them, them nuts. <laughs> Go to patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. Become a $5 patron. If you do that, you get to drop a suggestion in the bowl. Once a month, we draw randomly from that bowl and we review that movie. And it's going to be awesome or less awesome depending on the movie I just said seconds mm-hmm. ago, moments ago. And- Doctors have so. concurred that it causes a happy to happen in the body. That's true. Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. releases, um, it does this thing where, you know how you'll have anxiety in your body? Well, it takes mm-hmm. it takes the N and the I and the T and the Y and just leaves you with an axe. So now you're a badass. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's what it does, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. That's pretty mm-hmm. good to know right there. It takes all your bad feelings, turns mm-hmm. them into good feelings. That's right. So sign up today over on that Patreon page, <laughs> y'all. 
That's right. And of course, you guys can follow us on other social media. Yeah, yeah. At Dead Lovely Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're also on the Discord, on the YouTubes. Uh, we're all over the place. Just holla at us at Dead Lovely Pod. Mm-hmm. That's right. And while you're doing that, write us a review on Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. or wherever it is that you can review a podcast these days. I don't know. Can you review podcasts on TikTok? Is that a thing? Kids uh, do that, don't they? I think you probably could. I don't know how many up talks that we get. I don't mm, know what TikTok do. Do you up talk sure things? Either. I think you up talk. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. She's been living in a TikTok <laughs> world. That's how it goes, right? TikTok girl. girl. Oh my god, trademark dead and lovely. I'm writing this song tonight. <laughs> Fuck. That, <laughs> yeah, that, I'm going to be busy. I was going to say that actually probably could be a really shitty Jimmy Fallon sketch. So Anybody want to hire us over at Jimmy Fallon? Holla. Trademark dead and lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, be sure to tune in next week for a good old fun time when we'll be talking about that movie that we just drew out of the smoking bowl. I can't even believe it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Everybody, uh, stay home. Stay safe. Fucking wear a goddamn mask. Come on, people. It's not fucking hard. Wear a damn mask. Look at all the hard work and killing that Michael Myers did. He was never depleted of oxygen. He never, never once. activated his own COVID virus, and he was fucking yep. busy. He had a busy night there on the streets of Haddonfield. <laughs> you know? So you could fucking do it, too, when you got to go buy some damn spinach from the grocery store. What the fuck ever? Wear a fucking mask. Wash your fucking hands. And your ass. Uh-huh. That thing's nasty. This is nasty. Nasty ass. And tune in next week for another episode of Dead Lovely with the host of the most, Uncle Ben. Hollywood Steve. You guys have been fantastic. We've been Drad and Langley. See you guys later. So my wife just got back from her uh, appointment for her hair waxing and stuff, right? Yeah. And she had a new person that was was doing the service for her there, right? She said she was this goth girl. Oh, all right. And I got to thinking about it, and I was like, this is a goth girl who made it her career choice to rip out the hairs of probably, like, well-kept blonde ladies and stuff and just mm-hmm. tear their hair out all day. Yeah. And now I want to write a movie about her. <laughs> right? Yeah. And obviously it's Janine Garofalo. Obviously it's Garofalo. Oh, duh, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's how she, like, keeps her, her rage down day to day mm-hmm. yep. is rich yep. ladies come in and she rips their pubic hair off exactly that's got i mean <laughs> that does sound pretty cathartic i know right <laughs> i think there's i think there's potential there trademark dead and lovely yeah <laughs>